What's up, guys? We are halfway through the group stage. Not the best results for North America, not the worst either. Also, lots of news coming out of Europe and out of the LEC. Lots of drama going on with Fnatic and some news out of G2. We will get to all of that. And also, Riot decided to just uh, Alt F4 on all chat. All chat is going to be goodbye, uh, it seems like, by the next patch. We'll talk a little bit about that. It seems like the general... Uh, general consensus from the community is that people are not happy about it uh we'll certainly get into that and then uh yeah we hope that this episode will be a lot quicker uh but no promises jnt any initial thoughts before we get into the swing of things uh well i mean there's the meme today i guess was that the west went 06 in all their matches yeah so that doesn't necessarily guess... bode well for week two quote unquote of group stage yeah, and I guess we'll, we will talk about that as well. So this is episode 61 of the Clown Fiesta podcast with Blue Jay and JNT250. Starting off with the first half of groups. Uh, any initial thoughts on groups so far, JNT? Are you happy, not happy with uh, our North American uh, team? Uh, with the NA teams, I mean, I think we all knew it was going to be an uphill battle. I think... Mm -hmm. If you're surprised that NA is doing poorly, I think you came into Worlds with uh, your expectations maybe a little bit too high. I think the main story of groups so far has been Europe's struggles. I mean, I think everybody thought that Mad Lions were going to come out and look a lot better over in Group D. And, you know, unfortunately, the whole Fnatic situation right now, you know, kind of doomed them from the start once, you know, it was announced that Upset was no longer going to be starting for them. And uh, similar uh, in Group A, like it was kind of known that it was going to be the group of death. But I do think that Rogue have put up some pretty decent performances um, relative to how they're performing, like how, how yeah, they so, expected. So I don't know if that's like a. It, you know what I think it is? I think a big part of it is Europe's performances from the past are really giving people expectations that that should kind of continue this year. To me, it's not so much that the European teams necessarily look bad. It's that they don't look as good as we're used to them looking. And I think that's the main difference that we're seeing. Even with Mad Lions, for example, like this is still a team that's looking pretty good. Even in their losses, like the loss to, to Team Liquid, it was a close game the whole time pretty much um, until the very end. So it's like things are not completely doom and gloom for European fans. Like, I, I don't know, three games in, it's only halfway through groups. Like we've seen Europe go on an absolute tear before, so I I wouldn't be too worried. I would be far more worried for North American fans than European fans, definitely. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, for me, at the same time, it's not even like I'm worried because I didn't expect anything out of the North American teams. I didn't think that uh, any NA team was going to make it out of groups. Although I do think that Team Liquid actually does have a shot due to the sort of struggles of Mad Lions and due to Gen G's sort of poor mid games. Are you able to pull up the the standings at all? Do we got something well, for that? Uh, yeah, visual, if, if you well, will. Well, if we're gonna go group by group, I have the standings for that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Well, I guess we'll we'll kick it up with Group A. Um, current standings are as follows: Dam one three zero, FPX two one, Rogue one two, C nine zero three. Um, I think the main takeaway from this group is that Dam one looks really really good, uh, and FPX does not look so good. I mean. On paper, you can obviously say that yeah. two and one is a good record and is most likely going to get you out of this group. But at the same time, like we need to look at FPX. They got annihilated by Damwon in the first game. FPX was completely dead from the get-go. Um, they should have lost their game against Cloud9. And, you know, Rogue, 
while they did have a very convincing win today against Rogue, you know, Rogue still like managed to keep it competitive and it didn't look like FPX were these world beaters that everybody thought they were going to be. Yeah, so the other thing too, and the first thing that stands out for me with FPX specifically is they could have easily lost that game to Cloud9. And like Cloud9's playing really, really poorly. I'm not really surprised by that, but I am surprised that they could have beaten FPX in that game. And I think that's what's really scary. If FPX is playing I, what I would say just as any average team, they lose that game. And that is very worrying if... I mean, th they were the tournament favorites for... Not for everyone. I don't even want to say the majority of people because I think a lot of people have in mind that there's so many different teams that have a good chance of taking it. But I would say more people favored FPX to win the tournament than any other team. Is that fair to say? I mean, maybe. I don't know. On the betting sites, they were number one. They were the, the team that were, was favored on betting yeah, sites. That's, I mean, what, that's where that comes from. Although I would definitely admit that Dam One's right behind. Dam One's right behind them, of course. And RNG and, and, um, and EDG, of, of course, are not far behind them as well. Like I said, there's a lot of teams that I think people acknowledge can definitely take it. But I think the most favored, I would say, from, from what I had heard and what I've seen just on, on betting sites and, and things of that nature is that FPX is the favorite, especially coming out of what most people were saying was the best region in LPL. Not everyone, yeah. of course. But um, they were saying that FPX is the strongest team in the strongest region. And I myself probably would have said that FPX is the favorite, but uh, certainly not looking like it. Yeah, I mean, like, look, like, it's only halfway through the group stage. Like, who knows? They could come out in week two and just absolutely smash everybody, go 3-0, win the tiebreaker against Dam 1 should Dam 1 win its other two games. And then, you know, we're going to be right back in the same spot saying, oh my god, FPX is looking so good. You know, they're back in contention. But as of right, right. now, from what we've seen from them, you know, they should have a 1-2 and two record. And I completely agree with you. Like, they play any other team that's pretty much not like Cloud9, Detonation Focus Me, or like current... Fnatic, they probably lose that game because Cloud9 had like a 4 or 5k gold lead. Perks is getting caught multiple times in the side lane. They're making really, really poor decision making. Cloud9 kind of just looks like a mess right now. I think you kind of saw that today in the in the Dam 1 game. Poor level 1, you know, basically Blabber is late invading in an attempt, not even, I wouldn't even call it late invading, but trying to get a late ward down before his first camp after Cloud9 doesn't even do anything level 1 to begin with, so they have no vision of where the enemy team is. Blabber's walking right. up into a bush to place a ward and gets jumped on by two people, has to burn his flash, dies, loses his red buff, and he's basically a full two camps behind for the entire early game. And, you know, with Blabber out of the game for the first five minutes, it just allows Khan to do whatever the hell he wants. He's completely smashing fudge. He's up 20 CS within five minutes of the game. And you kind of saw every single play that Cloud9 was going for, minus a couple in the bot side of the map early on into the game, Demo was just like hard countering it. And I think the worst thing for the game that we saw today specifically, the worst thing about it for me is that you've got Fudge falling really behind. And, and that's not even blaming him. What I'm saying here is like, he's the only guy on this roster that I've had some confidence in over the last, I don't know, since MSI really. He's the only one that has had consistent good performances. And so once he gets shut down, I have very low faith that Cloud9 is going to be able to dig themselves out of such a tremendously big hole to start the game. It, that's exactly what we saw. Blabber immediately died. He was late getting to his first camp. And then, of course, he's got no leash. 
really, really rough for him, right? So, anyways, as soon as I saw that, I, I was pretty sure, and I think most people would agree that they're pretty sure that game was just over. Yeah, I mean, I think Cloud9 did a good job of doing what they could in the first 10 to 15 minutes of, a, of the game to attempt to salvage it with some decent uh, plays around the mid lane. I think they got a kill early on to Showmaker, and they got a kill, um, a, a kind of like a, a two kills in a 2v3 bot lane to sort of keep the game afloat where they were only basically down about one to 2,000 gold within the first 10, 15 minutes of the game. But then you know, I think as the game kind of went on, like you saw, you saw some really desperate plays and really poor decision-making out of Cloud9, basically going on the two most difficult members to engage on multiple times in multiple fights. Like we, we would see Cloud9 make plays up towards top lane where Khan is like a full item ahead of Fudge, two full levels ahead of Fudge. You know, he's the tankiest member on the team with, you know, Cloud9's pretty much running a full AD comp minus Rise. So unless Rise is hitting Khan on this tank, this like pseudo tank Graves with lifesteal, you're basically never going to kill him. And, you know, it was pretty much just desperation out of Cloud9. And you saw like they made their last ditch effort in the top lane by sending all five members up there. You know, it was, it was easily countered by Damwon who had Barrel jump over the wall on Rel and Showmaker alt up there on Twisted Fate. And, you know, they got Baron and the game was over and everyone knew it. Yeah, and I want to shout out Soundwave Surfer in the live chat because he made a comment that I think is pretty accurate to C9. He says, now the C9 special will be to win against FPX and damn one and lose the next game to Rogue. And that does sound pretty spot on. If you think back to MSI where Cloud9 was able to take games off of pretty much every team in the tournament and then lose to Pentanet, that sounds that sounds about right. Um, I mean, honestly, at this point, I'd be surprised if Cloud9 could take two games. But that's just kind of what Cloud9 does is they, they manage to surprise us and usually in bad ways and finding ways to not move on. Um, I, I want to go back to what you were talking about before with perks getting caught in side lanes. Um, would now be a good time to play the clip, the, uh, the oh, yeah. Azale thing? Let's yeah. pull that up if you can because um, I want to get your reactions to it. And I think there was some mixed reactions, but mostly I think, I, I think most people agreed with his sentiment in, in his comments. Let, uh, let me know when you got that. Yeah, well, uh, just a little bit of context. This was in the in the post match like analysis or whatever. Azel, you'll hear him, but he was uh, flaming perks a little bit. Baron, but we're yeah, gonna go splice ahead. this in immediately with the base race. Yeah, I mean, this is honestly what was a precursor of things to come. I mean, perks got picked off a number of times in a row in the side lane from Nogari. Credit to him, you know, finding those kills. But then, honestly, what the hell are you doing? If, if you're base racing against Baron, there's no shot this is ever gonna work. He has TP up. There's no reason you shouldn't be TPing the Nexus turrets to try to hold Nexus and then split push later. And honestly, the, the later half of this game for Perks was flat out embarrassing. Like, this was just horrible. He got picked in the side lane four times in a row. Like, I, I don't know what else to call this besides an $11 million base race, because this this is just embarrassing. Yeah, and I, I feel like FPX won, but what they win, in my opinion, is like breathing room to go back. Yeah, it was... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so the reason why I wanted to play that clip is because, as some of our regular listeners will know, is that I've been very heavily criticizing Perks lately, um, but I was also criticizing the community for not calling out Perks when he was playing poorly. I think there was, like, a lot of um, unjust... What's the word? I don't know, too much credit being given to someone who's been playing poorly. And here's the thing, it seems like I'm picking on Perks. That's not what I what I'm trying to do here is... I think Azale is spot on, and I think this is the first time we're starting to see uh, casters really say what they actually think. And so that's why I wanted to give huge props to to Azale for that call, if you will, even though it's post-game analyst desk, because I think he's exactly right. 
this is the throw for, for those that aren't aware this is the throw um that they had against uh fpx where they could have won this game and i think i don't know i think this was to me the sign that i was um i, I guess i was just sure that cloud nine was done and i know we're only halfway through groups and yes they could make a comeback but to me that was that was it for me where i was like yep this pretty much sums up uh cloud nine's performances as of late with pretty much everyone and i completely agree with them that it is embarrassing honestly yeah i mean you know obviously the loss today against stam one you know hurts even more because you dropped a zero three and it really decreases your chances but that win against fpx would have been more important than to win against stam one because it would have resulted in basically a three-way tie for second place with three teams sitting at one and two therefore you know your destiny is in your hands where if you're cloud nine you win you need to win at least two games plus most likely a tiebreaker if you want to move on now you have to win all three games and probably get some help along the way with you know the the matches going the same way with you beating rogue and beating fpx assuming that fpx also like basically you know it's out of your control and you got to hope that the cards fall your way but i mean you know normally it's the zil club's funny because normally that's freak's job to uh that is true. They that give, is a free comment. They give hard flame to the players, but I mean, at the same time, like I think the game was already way lost before that. I think looking back on it, you know, the game is doomed anyway. So I don't mind the base race call. However, it was just bad because the team, the team being Cloud Nine, they didn't really commit to the base race. You kind of saw like towards the end of the game, like Cloud Nine was very hesitant to when FPX was like running up to Baron, like. If you're going to go for a base race, you have to go kill yourselves to kill the wave. Cloud9's not really doing that. Like, the call just seemed very split. Like, obviously, like, we don't know what the hell they're saying. Maybe Perks is like, oh, maybe I can backdoor this. They're like, oh, okay, uh, go try backdoor. But, like, I think in a spot like that, like, unless you're definitively making some sort of call, like, you need to base. Like, at the minimum, get the inhib, recall, or TP back. But, like, if you're going to make this very desperate play, like, at least be all on the same page about it, which it was pretty clear that they weren't. Yeah, to me, I thought they did commit to the to the base race, and I thought they overcommit. I I mean, I think committing to the base race was the mistake. I don't think there's any world where you ever win that when the enemy team has Baron. Like you said, you want to try to kill yourself. You would even kill yourself just to kill the wave. But like they're Baron minions, right? No, like, I get that. Like to clear it, that wave. If you're to gonna me, try there's to no do it, no world where they win that base race, and I was really surprised. I thought they would trade inhibs, and then perks would recall, and then try to fight because you have like he was like a three or four item rise at that point, like. You have a damage dealer that you can fight with. And yes, maybe you don't, you aren't likely to win the fight, but you have a chance. And I think your chances of winning a fight after him basing are much higher than them winning that base race. Yeah, no, no. It's just more that like, you know, obviously, you know, we both agree they made the wrong decision, but the decision that they went for, they didn't even fully commit to that either. Because, you know, Cloud9, like yeah. you need, like you can't be, you know, semi-fighting, trying to get HP from the Nexus and then coming back while they're still killing your towers. Like you need to literally kill yourself to attempt to kill the wave i mean it was just like a bad game all around like i said the game was already over before that because you saw throughout that whole game like nuguri was just basically camping the side lane on this full damage cannon um sitting in side lane brushes assuming and capitalizing on perks's overextensions i think you know we've seen a lot of problems i think over the entire tournament with people getting caught out on the side lanes a lot and pushing mm -hmm. You when you're basically not allowed to when your team is not pressuring on the side of the map your, your team is not at least aggressively 
you know, standing on the enemy side of the map trying to threaten something, whether it's an objective, whether it's, you know, pushing down uh, the opposite side lane. Like, we're just seeing a ton of players getting caught in the side lanes. And I honestly can't tell if it's more that the players are just playing badly and doing that, or if teams are sort of taking advantage of these, you know, side lane brushes to camp. Because I think I want to also give credit to all these teams that are just like simply walking up to side lane brushes and just stacking three people in them and just sitting in there for like 30 plus seconds. Because I think we're seeing a lot of that in, in the playing stage um, when C9 was playing against, I think it was their second game against Peace. Like we saw three or four times during that game, we had Peace, you know, sitting up in the top lane, waiting for Fudge, you know, push out side lane. And it's kind of been a spot where, yeah, sure, Fudge is a little bit overextended, but it's not like you're expecting three people to be in there. So the since we've been seeing it more and more, I can't really tell if it's like people playing bad or if, you know, teams are smartly hiding in the bushes yeah and i think you know my stance on it my stance on it is that if you have baron and you're overextend and you're extending by yourself in a side lane you should never be doing that unless until you know where the enemy team is if you're four wanting the 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 four can be able to push up relatively safely with baron and force the enemy team to answer it and if they're not answering it then the one in the side lane should know to back off that to me seems pretty standard league of legends uh, but to your point, you have to give credit to the teams that are finding these picks as well, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. The last thing I'll say on Cloud9 before we talk about Rogue is that um, if if you look at the players' faces after these games, you could tell they are just not having a good time with it. And yeah. even though I've been very critical of Perks, if you look at Perks' interview with Travis, you could he knows he's messing up here. Mm -hmm. Like, that, And that's one thing that I've continued to say about Perks is that he there, there's the whole perks accountability thread and blah 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 blah. he himself is holding himself accountable he will say like i am trolling like i am making these mistakes and that's something that i don't know if you always get in pro play like a lot of times you will but i i think it's important that players recognize when it is themselves that that they are part of the problem and so i even though it sucks to see uh what should be north america's biggest star performing poorly i do give him credit in owning that it's his mistakes and because i don't think you see that all the time Mm -hmm. yeah um and i think uh well i guess lastly ahead. yeah we'll, we'll talk about rogue um i think like i said right at the beginning i think they're having good performances relative to the expectations uh coming into the tournament because uh, damwon and fpx were the obvious favorites but you know rogue completely stomped cloud nine on day one and they honestly put up decent fights in losing efforts to both Damwon and FPX. You, you kind of saw Damwon and FPX really take control of the early games in both of those games, but Rogue did a pretty good job doing what they could to fight back and attempt to gain yes. some sort of lead. I mean, you, you, like, Inspired was dead in the water in on his fiddlestick stand against Damwon, but, Damn like, one game? but yeah. one, you know, like, we've seen it before, like, one nice fiddlesticks ulti over a wall where you can get that onto three members, fear multiple members. Like, it can change the game, and... You know, Rogue made a half-decent comeback. I think Inspired and Han Sama were really playing well towards the mid-game, trying to find anything, you know, really picking on Ghost um, in the mid lane and in side lanes because kind of Damwon was going for a very side lane-heavy approach with Ghost kind of like sitting very far back in mid. And Rogue was just like, well, we can't do anything else anywhere. So, like, we might as well just push mid as hard as we possibly can and play aggressive as we possibly can. Yeah, and I really want to give props to Inspired for his fiddle six. Yes, he struggled like crazy. Of course, he they picked it into Talon, but... Is not what you want to do but um the reason why i do want to give him credit is for what you were just saying that like he's still able to find these picks and why is that so impressive why am i so like impressed by that because i've played a lot of fiddlesticks in my day and let me tell you fiddlesticks when you are behind is so difficult to have an impact on the game because everyone knows where you are 
Like when you control the map and it's all dark, Fiddlesticks is so easy to play. But when they have, when the other team is winning and they have all the vision control and the whole map is theirs, it's it feels impossible to get a good Fiddlesticks ulti. And he managed to get like two or three of them in that game where they were just getting absolutely stomped. And so it, it's weird to say like, hey, good job in that game that you guys got clapped. Uh, mm-hmm. I still give them the good job in that game that you guys got clapped. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say in that game specifically is I wanted to give credit to Khan because if you'll remember, just a few days ago, I was a little bit, I was uh, hesitant on whether Khan would perform well, seeing as he was kind of saying that, you know, I'm kind of done with League. I'm ready to take a break. This will be my last world. He ain't taking it lightly. He is making his last world He's trying count. To win. He, he absolutely stomped. Odoamne in that game with the Jacks and I mean his team helped them a lot as well they pushed forward and got a lot of vision so that he could zone Odoamne off of waves and stuff like that Uh, so that was even more rough for Odoamne or for Rogue in that game Um, but yeah I gotta give props to Khan because he was kind of a beast in that game yeah so uh, if you're looking for the the NA Hopium uh, basically C9 has to win at least two games if they want a chance to move on Uh, best chances if they win three games but even still you know, it's not exactly in their control. Um, yeah. Wait, actually, it might be. I might be wrong about that. I don't know. I, basically, you're looking for C9 to get three wins. Two wins is very, very <laughs> unlikely because then you also need FPX to go 0-3 and you need specific matches to go specific ways. Um, so, to be honest, I don't think I would give Cloud. You gotta win three games, probably. And uh, even that, like, there's there's been times in the past that North American teams have gone three to three and not yeah. made out. Didn't that happen twice last year? Yep. With FlyQuest and TL. So, sometimes three wins ain't enough. And, yeah, uh, yeah to your point, it's not in their hands anymore. They need to prage. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I don't know. It's hard. I, I would give C9 less than a 5% chance, if even that, like, maybe like 2%, yeah, that's 1%. Probably. That's probably more accurate, the 1% or 2%. Yeah. Um, real quick, you got Dam1 and FPX making it out. Is that who you got? Or you Yeah, got I mean, it's FPX? funny. Well, no, I definitely I have Dam1 and FPX making it out. Uh, it's funny because after day one, you know, I didn't want to put a whole lot of stock into that first FPX game against Dam1. But, I mean, after seeing the game against Cloud9 and the game against Rogue, I mean, I definitely think Dam1 are the favorites to get out. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if FPX kind of battled back. But, but based on what I've seen, I, I'm... I'm taking Dam one to hold. Most likely, you get a six zero, and FPX probably follows up at four and two. And like we said, you know, it can get spicy should FPX drop a game to either Rogue or Cloud Nine. Yep, I'm right there with you. Uh, pretty much what you said is what I think. All right, so let's move on to Group B then. Yep, we got a uh, Group B up next. Kind of more of the same. Uh, we got EDG three zero T one two one one hundred thieves one and two, and detonation folks me zero three. Um. I feel like this group has been pretty clear cut from the majority of expectations. EDG was, you know, most people's either second or third favorite to win a tournament. Uh, as we did talk about, I think people still were of the opinion that FPX was going to be the best team at the tournament, despite dropping to EDG in the LPL finals. But EDG look really good. I think, you know, yeah, they, 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 had, they had a bit of a yikers, maybe potentially against Detonation Focus Me uh, earlier in the day. Um, but, you know, uh, their team fighting, despite being down against TFM, was so good. Man, those, the, the number of, like, Lee Sin kicks in, in that game yeah. was uh, just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Well, that's the thing for me is that the one Lee Sin kick, like, Jejia gets hard chunked. He's down to, like, 10% HP, maybe less. And so you're like, okay, he's out of the fight. But then he still manages to get, like, a kick into two other champions. So, like, uh, basically a three-man kick. 
um, in a fight that he should have just been out of. So to have that much of an impact in a fight that just looks like you're out of it, that's kind of insane. I think that's rare to see. And so that's one of the guys I wanted to highlight. The other thing that, like, because we were just talking about FPX, and we were saying how, like, a lot of people, despite FPX being the number two seed, they still said that they thought FPX was the best team coming out of China. I think three days in, that's changed a lot because EDG is looking so much better than than FPX, right? Yeah, I think it's hard to tell because the way that the groups are looking right now, I don't, I don't think there's a distinct favorite you can put, uh, whether it be EDG or Damwon. Uh, both, group, group, both groups have kind of played out in similar fashion. And both groups have their clear like weaknesses in terms of the teams that they are playing. Like for example, I think you know we'll get to it in a little bit, but I think RNG's three O over in Group C feels a little bit stronger than the three Os in Group A and Group B based on the performances that we've hmm. seen. Um, but you know, but again, like it's it's not like there's one clear favorite. I think all all of these teams are looking really really good. EDG's yeah. most impressive game was obviously their game against T One, where you know it was just like. They just controlled them from start to finish. T1 literally wasn't able to do anything. T1 was trying to make multiple plays towards the top side of the map with Faker on the Twisted Fate. And constantly EDG was, you know, basically timing the Twisted Fate alt cooldown to just bring up their jungler and support. And they'll press TFR. They'll see, oh shit, the jungler and support are sitting in the in the top lane Krugs brush. Uh, we gotta leave. Yeah. And the other thing too, so of course EDG and T1 are the top two teams right now. So obviously when that happens, you kind of look like, well, what happened in that game, in the game between those two, to really separate them uh, from, from well, obviously from T1 taking that loss and being uh, 3-0. The, the difference was pretty, uh, like, I thought EDG made T1 look really weak in that game. It yeah. seemed like T1 could not get anything done. And so even though they're just one win behind EDG, to me, there seemed to be a pretty big disparity in the skill level, despite the fact that T1 absolutely clapped 100 Thieves today. And I think that they're still obviously another step above the other two teams in the group. It seems to me like EDG is far and away the favorite. Um, for those that don't remember, I, I, to me, I kept thinking about Faker and his TF ulties. They kept going top over and over again, trying to make something happen. Couldn't really make anything happen with them. And they had no pressure out of TF. Uh, which is really not what you want. Um, mm -hmm. In my notes here, I, I, didn't, I guess the, the time stamp that I put down is that um, by 19 minutes, they still had no pressure with TF ulti. And that is too late to not have any plays made with, with, T, uh, with TF. So um, especially when it's Faker as well, like usually this is a guy that should be able to find some plays around the map. And EDG didn't really let that happen at all. So uh, big Big discrepancy in uh, what we're seeing from those two teams, I think. Yeah, it just, T1 felt really outclassed by EDG in that game. And I mean, who knows? Like, I think just because of that one game doesn't mean you can completely mm -hmm. count out T1 in the rematch, right. which will Agreed. most likely determine if there will be a tiebreaker for the first seed or not. But kind of like you just said, it feels like in this group, there's a large gap between each team. It feels like EDG is by far and away the best. T1 is the second best with a gap because of what we just saw. And mm -hmm. it, we, we kind of saw again from today's game, like T1 is clearly better than 100 Thieves and 100 Thieves is clearly better than Detonation Focus. I mean, obviously, you know, it might not be as cut and dry as that in week two or week two, quote unquote, for the group stage. But, you know, I think we're likely to see the least parity in this group, I think. Yeah, and I do want to mention that we did just see DFM put up what I would say is probably about as good as a fight as they can against EDG in the game that we just saw. They did have a lead against EDG, so people might be like, why is there such a big disparity? It's like, well, 
honestly, even though they got that lead, it wasn't that big of a lead. And honestly, we still kind of thought that EDG was going to win, if, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. I, I, was, I was happy DFM got a lead, and it was great that they were making some plays. Um, but in the end, you just saw – and we, we mentioned the Lee Sin kick that, that Jejia had. That, to me, is just pure skill. When you're able to line up a kick like that, when you're com you should be completely out of the fight. That's just when you know you're doomed. And then DFM overextended for that fight in the first place, and they got hard punished for it by what is obviously a, just a much better team, in my opinion. So. Yeah, Scout had a really good twist of fate game on that, uh, kind of pairing up with with JJ uh, quite a lot, um, basically in the mid game, just creating a bunch of fights where you know, we would see Detonation Focus me send three, four members after you know uh, Flandre in the top lane. And, you know, the fights would get quickly turned by, by Scout coming up, stalling out with gold cards, Everfrost. And then JJ would basically just come up and make some random three-man kick to win him the fight. Yeah. Let's focus in a little bit more on 100 Thieves. Is there anybody that's standing out to you in any good or bad ways? Um, I think... The guy that you and I were really focused on and really impressed with at the start was Huhi. And then today, not as much. Yeah, no, I think Huhi had... He had a good three games. In, in the co total compilation of three games, he had a good three games, but he did right. not have a very good game today. Um, just like right. a, a lot of just like poor mechanical errors, which, you know, the majority of it was like timing his bubbles on, you know, teleports and Zanya's hourglass like targets, which is pretty important in terms of like getting a lot of usefulness out of that spell because we are seeing a lot of Nami at Worlds. And we're seeing it have a very high impact with specifically the Lucian Nami lane. But, like, when you're missing your bubbles or you're not timing your bubbles correctly on, like, kind of free targets, in a sense, you're, you're like, losing a ton of value in the champion. Well, we were... He was beasting with the Nami. I don't, I don't remember if that was against DFM. EDG or against DFM. It was DFM. He was an absolute monster. Yeah, with, he, he with basically, Nami like, carried game. the game. So, like, we, he, we started off the tournament being like, oh, shit, like, who he came to play? Let's go. His Nami's insane. And then, like you mentioned today, even though it feels... It, it does feel nitpicky to talk about mechanics, but like you said, they matter so much in those team fights. They're really crucial. If you don't land that bubble, uh, some bad things can happen. And well, that's kind of what we saw in today's game, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only other guy I, I kind of want to highlight from hundred thieves in, in a sort of good light is Abadage. I think he's done a pretty solid job landing against Faker and scout. I think, you know, you're obviously, I think, going to be a bit nervous or, you know, the community is going to be a bit nervous for a player who's attending Worlds for the first time going up against competition like Faker and Scout in their group. And I think Abadage has done a really good job just in lane of not making too many mistakes and limiting, you know, limiting their, their opponent's chances of exploiting him, uh, which has been really good. I think the same can kind of be said for someday. Not, not to say that he's winning his matchups or anything, but he's not really making too many mistakes. I think... The main problems from 100 Thieves is really Closer's inability to just generate anything. I think, you know, back in the LCS, Closer was like the big time player for 100 Thieves in terms of being able to generate early fights, early gold leads, assist the bot lane by getting an early Rift Herald to use that to solo generate FBI plates. And we're kind of seeing Closer do a whole lot of nothing. Not to yeah, his fault, I just think he's clearly outclassed by, you know, the other teams. Well, that's one thing. And what did we see him have so much success on in the LCS, right? Viego, Diana, Olaf, those kind of champions. And today we saw him on, on Trundle. And He's on J4 Trundle is, duty. And, and that is a weakness if you can't play more than one play style, right? But 
well, sometimes it's nice to put your guys on stuff that you know they, they'll have more success on. And so that's something that you need to balance. And it's I'm not saying it's easy. That's not an easy thing to balance at all. If you're the coaching staff, I, I don't uh, envy having to do draft, but I, I do have to feel like we would see a closer have a lot more success if he was on those kinds of champions that we're used to seeing him on. I mean, yeah, he did have a good Viego game against DFM, um, and that was good. I think most people were expecting 100 Thieves to take down DFM. I think we would really be panicking if 100 Thieves was the 0-3 team in this group, um, as opposed to Cloud9 over in Group A. Um, and I guess lastly, on Detonation Focus Me, I think it's not a, it's not a surprise to a lot of people that they are 0-3. and three. Um, I think this is clearly a very exciting team who can make a lot happen in the early game and has a lot of potential to, to make plays and make games interesting. Um, and we kind of saw that, you know, in the 100 Thieves DFM game. Like, it was a very exciting game. Obviously, for NA fans, really good because I think 100 Thieves looked great. But also, DFM was kind of giving action in that game as well. And then, you know... You got you to give credit to DFM for taking it to EDG and making that game at least competitive. Yeah. Because, no, like, I, I they got rolled by T1. Like, that was probably the biggest <laughs> stomp of the tournament so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have anything more to add. Owner just, just yeah. running around the whole map killing people. Yeah. Uh, the thing, too, that... So, one of the issues now, if you're 100 Thieves, is that the team that you need to beat... I think to be able to get out of this group just smacked you today. Now, again, like we said before, it's one game, but I think that's the biggest issue is that you need to completely scrap whatever your game plan was today to go in against yeah. T1 and, and write up something new. Some, something else has got to be on the chalkboard here because what they did today was just not it. Like we said, we had closer on champions that we don't really think are his play style. They even had um, Nami Lucian in the bot lane, which Kind of just got countered by a Lulu, as uh, NA's finest, a good friend of ours, will tell you. The Lulu's great into into the Nami. We saw that as well. And if you're giving what is supposed to be a powerful bot lane with the, if you're giving priority to the Nami Lucian, and you're just losing that lane, that that's a problem. Especially when I would say that their bot lane is supposed to be one of your strengths as 100 Thieves. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah. Anyways, they they got to completely scrap what they came in with today and come in with a new game plan for the next game uh, for their next game against T1 because I think that will be the biggest decider on whether they're able to get out of this group mm -hmm. um, because I don't think you're catching EDG. They look too flawless at the moment, um, and then I don't think DFM. I don't think you're worried about them. If you're 100 Thieves, you're worried about T1. Uh, you're hoping that EDG can take one off of T1, and you're hoping that you can take one off of T1. Yeah, Maybe go to a tiebreaker tie and yeah, th that's. I mean, the absolute miracle would be DFM taking a game off of T1, but I don't think we can count on that. I think it would be more likely that DFM takes a game off of 100 Thieves, to be quite honest. So it's it's not looking good for 100 Thieves, but it's not looking doomed. It's it's a lot better than things are looking for C9. Yeah, I mean, th there's like a greater than a 50% chance that, the, you know, their destiny is in their hands because I think, you know, I still, I'll give EDG the edge in that rematch against T1, so... Like you said, at the very least, like you're going to be playing T1 again if for your chance to get the second seed to force a tiebreaker. Right. But but I mean, at, at this rate, I'm still going to take EDG and T1 uh, to make it out of the group. I think I, yeah, me too. I think I In probably, I, I yeah, I probably would have taken T1 had the T1 EDG game not been that much of a beatdown. But like to me, like <laughs> like after watching that game, like I I can't really definitively say like oh this is how T1's going to win the game or they're going to do it through this because like EDG just looked better. Yeah, and like you mentioned before, it is best of ones, right? And like I just said about 100 Thieves, 
T1 is probably going to do the same thing as in like say, look, we came into this game without the best game plan to to play against EDG. They're going to probably scrap whatever they came in with and try to come up with something new. Because like I mentioned before, they had no pressure on the map at all with a t with a twisted fate. Um, so I don't think they run back to Twisted Fate for T1 in their next game against EDG. I would be, I would be surprised. Anyways, I would be surprised. Yeah. At least, at least you would get yourself better lanes if you're going to do it. Better lanes where you can get prio and kind of dictate whether you want to pull dives off or not. Kind yeah. Of thing. Uh, let's get into Group C. Yep. Uh, a little bit of drama in there. Do you want to start with the drama or do you want to get to that last? No, we'll we'll start at the bottom actually. We'll, okay. We'll switch up. So. Right before group starts, disaster hits, right? Your AD carry has to leave. Now, it's still not completely clear as to why, and there's been a lot of speculation. Um, and I don't blame people for speculating. I, I know a lot of people do. I don't blame them for speculating because it's what we do as fans. Like, we're interested. I think it's fun to try to figure out what's going on. I don't think it's fun for Upset that has to deal with the speculation from other pros that are saying things, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. from people like Nemesis that are putting it out there that it's not real what's happening, um, and that it's all just a cover up. I think you would need to have some pretty good evidence that it's being covered up before you come out and say that. Um, but again, I don't blame fans for for wanting to speculate. It's it's what we do. It's we're interested. What what can I say? Yeah, I mean, just to quickly touch on the Nemesis thing. So if if you guys didn't know. Nemesis, former Fnatic mid laner. Uh, there was like some leaked images uh, of some Discord channel where Nemesis was basically saying like he doesn't think that you know this is some sort of emergency family matter and that there's actually something else going on. Whether the, and he didn't exactly say what he thinks that was, but it might be something along the lines of you know upset was playing bad. They benched him. He got mad, went home. Anything, something like that. And you know, I, I do think it's you know maybe a little bit scummy of Nemesis to not give him the benefit of the doubt but i mean i also don't blame him considering he's voiced his opinions about you know how fanatic you know did did some not so great things uh, to right. him and with him when he was on the roster in terms of yeah. how he exited and everything like that so i mean it's definitely not like the best look but i'm not going to blame him for having that opinion because you know he's talked about his poor experiences with fanatic in the past um but i mean the other pretty major actually i wouldn't say major thing but another thing you know that did come out of Fnatic after their first game of the day was Bwipo. Uh There was the LEC Ditto account, which for those of you who don't know, it's just like this Twitter account that basically tells you what, like, it's like a Twitter bot that says what league personalities are like following and unfollowing each other. So there, you know, they obviously posted, you know, that Bwipo had basically done this whole like mass unfollowing of Fnatic, you know, staff members. He unfollowed. Um, the Fnatic owner, the the team manager, uh, various Fnatic fan accounts, plus the Fnatic main account, and then his girlfriend or whatever also unfollowed a bunch of stuff. So people were also drawing a lot of speculations to that. And also, you know, kind of connecting those to the Nemesis stuff, maybe thinking, oh, maybe they actually did this stuff and Bippo's mad about it or whatever. But uh, I think Cadrill kind of said it best on his stream that he thinks that these issues are kind of separate issues. Right. That upset, you know, he's dealing with his own stuff at, at home with his family emergency. And then Whippo is also dealing with his own, you know, personal stuff or whatever. And that these two incidences, incidences aren't really connected. Um, and I would kind of agree with him with that because, you know, Whippo and Upset did, you know, take to Twitter to kind of talk about it a little bit. 
upset basically confirming that you know there was some sort of emergency situation with one of his family members and whippo also talking about how he needed like a break from social media and you know he thought that this you know i guess the best plan of action was to do what he did he didn't specifically say that but kind of assume, uh, inferring that a little bit yeah and just just to be clear i, I just want to make it known that we don't have any actual knowledge of what's been going on i know that might seem obvious to a lot of people but i think it's important that we get that out there that all of our discussion here is all speculation we don't really know what the hell's going on probably like yourself unless some news comes out after this recording of course and i guess this is a good time to mention that recorder we're recording like an hour after the game's ended or maybe an hour and a half mm -hmm. so we're still fresh after day three of of group stage um what was the other thing i wanted to say as well um oh yeah i just wanted to talk about how like it, this just sucks for everyone like yeah it, it sucks for the players it sucks for the fans like no one wins with this kind of thing and i really do feel bad of course for the players that have to deal with this upset finally gets his chance to go to worlds and has to leave for some sort of family emergency like that has to be really hard on him of course whippo is not happy as well he's dealing with his own things like this is just the worst time for these kinds of things to be happening and it sucks for the fans as well, obviously, because Worlds is like, Worlds is the best time of the year. Like, this is the time, like, where League is its most interesting. And it feels like, for a lot of European fans, they're robbed of, of one of their, uh, their team's performances at Worlds. Because obviously, when something or some things of this nature uh, happen at the start or even before the start of Worlds, obviously, that's going to have an impact on the team's performance, which is just... Uh, I don't know. It's, it feels bad, man. Yeah, and I mean, it, it was clear in their first two games against RNG and Hama Life, like Fnatic, they looked very disjointed. Um, I think the player to obviously point out in not, a not-so-good light, I think, is Niski. I think he's he's really not been looking like in, himself, and whether that's because of whatever's going on with the team or whether that's his own performances or, or working with a new player who who's not, you know, you know, I... Uh, be, sorry, their new player is Bean, the AD carry. He's a former uh, EU Masters player. He, he His team just won EU Masters, so I don't think he's a bad player or anything. But obviously, when a new player is coming into your team environment who has not been working with your team for you know, the majority of the split, things are obviously going to be difficult. But I think Niski, obviously himself, he's not been playing very well. He's you know making a lot of pretty reckless engages, uh, dying a lot, not playing very well in lane. His Trinimer game, I think, today was pretty abysmal, to be honest. And I think Fnatic fans were pretty disappointed after that loss today against PSG Talon because it was actually a pretty close and competitive game. And Fnatic was kind of in the driver's seat in that game, up 3-1 on Drakes with an Ocean Soul. And, you know, they lose three consecutive Drakes, two Barons, uh, some bad team fighting at the end. Uh, you know, um, I really like Niski. I think he's a great player. I loved him when he was on Cloud9, but unfortunately he had a, he had a really bad game today. It also sucks for him to stumble at this time because he's actually looked really good um, for Fnatic this year. He, he's um, been really impressive, I would say. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's just, again, the timing on this stuff is so unfortunate. Like, it's actually really, really rough. But again, mm -hmm. they got three days to try to fix stuff. Uh, we've seen some miracle runs happen before. I would yeah. say that it is still possible Fnatic can bounce back um, because I don't think Hanwell, I, I think Hanwell Life has actually still looked good. I just don't think they've looked great, honestly. Yeah. So I think they've just a been a bit inconsistent for me. And and I would even say PSG. I would also say has looked good, but not great as well. Like I could see a world where Fnatic does still get out of this group. Of course, it's looking really rough right now, and it's another one where you probably have to three zero. 
but I could see it happening. I, I could see it happening. Uh, the only team that looks really clean to me so far is RNG, like you mentioned before. Uh, but that's not surprising to me. RNG was my pick to win Worlds, that crystal ball thing. So for me, I guess, yeah, seeing them be 3-0 is like, well, yeah, they also won MSI. Like, I don't think that this group is that much of a challenge to them. I would say it's like a minor challenge, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think Fnatic has the tools to get out of the group if they do sort of put the run together. I think, you know, like I said, the majority of their problems from from my eyes have been Niski. I think Bupo has actually been playing pretty well um, he, he's had some really good strong early games. I think their bot lane, their bot lane's been playing better than I thought they would, considering this is a pure rookie coming into the coming into Worlds who's never played a game in the LEC, is has only played on you know the regional circuit level. I think he's looked all right. I, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there's some clear disconnects in, in terms of like the laning phase and early fights within the laning phase with him and Hillisang, which I think is expected. Uh, but for the most part, I think their bot lane is pretty pretty well. I think Hillisang did have a pretty abysmal game against rng was it where he was like playing pike and had like 11 deaths or something like that mm -hmm. but uh i mean his landing uh, phase was still really good he's yeah he is really in your face i mean that's of what we come to expect out of pillasang mm -hmm. but like he is landing hook after hook after hook on pike like he is so obnoxious in the laning phase it's crazy yeah Sorry, what I, you're saying? well i do think that if if niski can sort of get back to gauntlet niski and end of summer split niski i think fanatic does have a shot because similar to you know the other uh, makeup of the groups uh, you know you the destiny your, your destiny is still somewhat in your control where if you do win three games at the minimum you're getting a tiebreaker and three wins can get you out yeah no it's definitely not all done i i like that you shut up whippo for me the game one was the funniest thing yeah where dude, he was chasing, he, who was he chasing he was chasing willer in the, jung the yeah. jungle yeah who he, was he chasing it was, it was willer he was playing leeson or sorry Bupo oh, was playing yeah. graves willer's playing leeson and they basically late invaded bot lane where Willer was solo starting his Raptors level one. And Whippo in the Fnatic bot lane ran in, stole his red buff. Willer face checks him. Whippo's auto attacking him. And, you know, Willer kind of running under his 2-2 tower. It's like, oh, okay. Whippo's going to now, now back off and go do the rest of his clear or maybe invade the other side. And That's dude, he, what you would think. He just he flashes under tier 2 tower, tries to kill him, doesn't kill him, just runs into his blue side jungle. And he, <laughs> dude, he, he was up like 50 or 60 farm at like 10 minutes into the game. And... I think, you know, credit to Willer in that game because, you know, he, he made a lot of great plays later on, and at least on Lee Sin, despite being down so far early. Um, yeah, Niski was running in that game as well. But uh, I guess to, to flip over to Hamon Life really quick, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to talk about them. I, I know they are my boys, and I'm really hoping for Hamon Life to make it out of this group. I think they can. It's just I, I think they've been wildly inconsistent individually, like, you know, you look at the first game against uh, Fnatic, you had Morgan and Willer who played really, really well, and the story was more about them. And you flip over to, you know, the RNG and PSG talent games where Willer and Morgan were really, really struggling. And Chovy also had a really bad game against uh, RNG. And it was, you know, I think similar to what we saw in the regional gauntlet from Humble Life. When all their players are on, they're looking really dangerous and they're really good. But individually, these players can get exposed sometimes. And I think if you're PSG Talent, a Fnatic, or an RNG, you should really look to attack one of these lanes and just kind of you know, shut them down. Because when you kind of take one of them out of the game, the whole team seems to really struggle when they don't have like all five members on even footing. One thing that stood out to me with Hanwha Life was the, the game against RNG. So I, I think most people know this, but for those that don't, the LCK has this reputation of playing really slow and taking their time and not making much happen. 
But I thought I was really happy with the way Hanwa approached that game against RNG because RNG is going to play really aggro and force you to make a lot of plays. And I thought Hanwa st stuck with them for a lot of that game and kind of it was really back and forth, which is not something I was expecting out of Hanwa life considering, uh, for those that don't know, I really had RNG um, a lot higher on my uh, tier list than Hanwa life for, from what I was expecting out of these two teams. And so I, I just wanted to, give, wanted to give a shout out to Hanwa life because I thought that they played really, really good against what I consider to be a really, really good team. And while well, my pick to win the whole thing. So even though they're one and two, there's some good signs that you're getting out of Hanwha life uh, that like, I, I guess I just wasn't ready for. Yeah. I mean, the, the inconsistencies that I'm also talking about, they kind of showed against um, PSG Talon, where I think, I think, you know, credit to PSG Talon in that game, because I thought, you know, the, with the smite TP Talon was actually pretty cool. Uh, know to sort of people have normally been going either flash or ignite on talon uh flash for some you know kind of more like more reliable playmaking with jumping over the walls and then flash queuing somebody or like alt q flashing somebody or something like that but the tp actually did a really good job in that game to be able to flank deft and chovy who were super super strong i mean like at the start of that game like people thought like like, that game I thought was kind of over after Def was getting, like, really ahead on Draven early game after, you know, a level one tower dive that River yeah, kind of, River almost kind of saved it from getting oh both God. kills over to Humble Life to only one with TPing after doing one camp and TPing to bot lane. But then, like, in that whole game, like, River was just everywhere. Like, he was jumping across the map, protecting top lane, protecting mid lane, and then when team fights started out, you would see PSG Town literally triple TP to flank Chovy and Def to kill them. It was actually like pretty interesting. Like I, I don't know if we're gonna see it because it feels like that was like a sort of like, you know, we talk about like cheese games and like you get one try to do your little cheese pick. I felt like that was their cheese pick, but you know they played it pretty well. Yeah, I forgot about that until you brought it up. I forgot about that game. Uh, mm -hmm. Willer was trolling in that one. Yeah, um, he, he's taking kills from a Draven. Like, come uh, on, dude. No, like your adoration Tyler, stacks. Tyler come 1 on, is going to run it down if you do that. Old Tyler yeah, 1. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Uh, but on, on the other, to, to your point, though, like, I thought PSG looked really good in that game. And you know who else I thought has been really good this tournament? Is Hanabi in the top lane. His mm -hmm. Gwen was really, really annoying. Like, so much pressure he's, he's putting out, so much damage he's putting out in these team fights. We saw him on, was it GP today? Or was that yesterday? Yeah, that was today. No, he was... His GP looked great. Yeah, he like, was, he was yeah. smashing Adam in the top lane. And I remember Hanabi having a really good tournament last year at Worlds. And so this guy's a guy that's continued to impress me. Um, yeah, I just think he's been really, really good. So huge shout out to Hanabi. who's, I mean, this guy's putting out damage, man. Yeah, I don't got too much else to say on this group. One thing that I did notice after the Humble Life game against RNG today that I saw on Twitter was apparently Deft built Infinity Edge third item when only having 40% crit chance. And if you don't know why that's important, when they change Infinity Edge this season, you only get the bonus crit damage when you have 60% crit. And Deft like basically never had 60% crit this whole game. He only got it at the end when he bought a Runans, but I was like, oh my god, like, that could have been, like, they, that probably, like, drops off his damage by so much to dump yeah, that much gold into it. that's a difference like, maker in team fights. Yeah. Like, that could really screw you. And, yeah. after, and after hearing about that, I was like, wow, like, that might have been the difference because, like, we talked about, like, that was a really close game between Humble Life and RNG. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um... Yeah, so for me, I guess the last thing I'll say on this group is that we talked about 
uh, the similarities that we might see between PSG and, and um, Beyond Gaming coming into this tournament because we didn't really know much about this region. And uh, yes, small sample size, of course, but I think it is fair to say that PSG does look far better than Beyond Gaming did. Is that right? I would think yeah. you can say that. They yeah. don't have any uh, any griefers in their on their team. Yeah, they they look pretty darn good. So um, to me, I think the group will continue to look the way it does. Like I think RNG is taking the one spot, and I think PSG is taking the two. With that said, I did mention before how there are some some good signs out of Hanwha Life, and I also said I wouldn't be surprised if Fnatic can find their way back in. For me, it's still PSG at the moment, but I think the the teams that are at the bottom, I, I have more faith in, in Hanwha Life and Fnatic than I do the two bottom teams of Group A and B that we already talked yeah, about. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I'm going to gonna stay faithful to my Hanwha Life boys and uh, they'll get out number two. I think, you know, they'll beat Fnatic. They'll probably lose to RNG and, you know, hopefully they win the quote-unquote like best of three against PSG Talon winning again and then beating them in a tiebreaker. Yeah, the, uh, there was one other thing that I forgot to mention about when we were talking about Fnatic is that uh, a lot of times players can look worse uh, when, like, like for example, Niski is clearly struggling, and, and I mean, all of them are struggling at some point. And the thing is, when it comes to a roster change, there are some things that you don't necessarily see uh, that could definitely impact the players. For example, with a new AD carry, maybe you're prioritizing picks for him because he's a new player, and so maybe your draft looks different, and mm -hmm. maybe like you want him the on players comfort. that you Right, exactly. So maybe you're warping your draft to get your new player on comfort, which could hurt your other laners or, or yeah, any yeah. other. That's just something that I want to say. I, there's no, we, we have no idea, right? From our perspective, we don't know if any of that is happening. But I think you need to give benefit of the doubt when you have such a sudden last minute swap of one of your key players, obviously, uh, going into the tournament. And I think that's something that um, fans should be understanding of when it comes to Fnatic. If their drafts look a little off to you or something doesn't seem quite right or why did they make that pick or why are they prioritizing that pick, it could be a simple explanation of they're trying to do things of, of comfort when you've got a new player. Could be. We don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got Group D up last. I think Group D is the most unknown Going yeah. into week two, it feels like in this group any team can beat any team. The way that dude, this have... group is so fun, man! Like yeah. I love this group. All the yeah. games are great. Yeah, it's it's definitely weird because while Gen G and LNG are sitting at the top of this group, we've seen some clear problems in the mid game from Gen G against both Team Liquid and Mad Lions. You know, losing that Mad Lions game from a pretty good position, and you know, ultimately beating Team Liquid after you know kind of a big throw. Uh, just earlier today yeah and we saw rascal kind of throw a little bit in that game uh, maybe throws not totally fair but he definitely struggled let's say that and so they decided to go for the swap today and they put in Bertle instead um i don't know if they're going to continue with Bertle or not i know his 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 um his scoreline didn't look so great in the middle of the game but i don't really know if that was because he was performing bad or not that was just something i noticed that at one point he was like oh five and seven which isn't the greatest showing but again, sometimes that just happens. Uh, I still need to see more from him be before I have an opinion. But when you get subbed in for a guy and then you're like 0-5, it doesn't look good. But again, this could be just things that aren't necessarily his fault. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had any opinions on the, on the Bertle swap no. or not. Yeah, I, to be honest, I, I wasn't exactly paying attention to like the first five minutes of the game. But then like 
when I did, like, when I was sitting down and, like, really watching this game, I don't even, I didn't even notice until, like, 10 minutes. I was like, wait, who is this top laner that they have subbed in? I was like, where the hell is Rascal? But it was just yeah. like, okay, like, I mean, cool. Yeah, no, they mentioned it, obviously, during, like, or before draft started and stuff like yeah. that. But I'm assuming you were AFK when Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, yeah. no. I've, the Genji it feels weird to me because I think going into the group, uh, I was, I was fearful for them against LNG because Genji's, so was I. just because of Genji's like natural slow play style. I think a lot of of a lot of the LCK teams, they're one of the more inactive teams in the early game, and you know, kind of rely on playing f with a lead and kind of like resting on that lead and just kind of outsmarting their opponents but that's where they seem to struggle here and the one game that they did like definitively win was that game against lng where bdd basically just like won the game by himself but by solo killing icon on, on zoe versus silas like two times yeah and for those that don't know i'm a huge bdd fan i love this guy and i'm so happy that world starts and he showcases just what a beast he is that was that was something i really like i'm not gonna lie i was pretty sad that they beat tl but hey, if it's not TL that's winning, I'd rather it be Gen G. I'm Gen G staying all the way. Yeah. So it like it, it's it's weird because like while both these teams are sitting at two and one, like I, it feels like I have more confidence that LNG is going to be better than Gen G going into week two. Although Gen G like kicked the shit out of LNG in the first game. Yeah, and it, it's funny because this group is going exactly with the way we thought it would, as far as like. Any team can beat any team, I think, is what most people are saying. Yeah. And it kind of looked like when you got 2-1-2-1-2-1-2, that's kind of how it's going, right? Yeah, yeah so I guess we'll, we'll flip down to now the one and two teams, Mad Lions and Team Liquid. Um, team Liquid did pick up a win. Uh, they beat Mad Lions in that first game. Uh, it was a pretty close game until like a, a sort of 5v4 in the, the top alcove area really, really put the game in Team Liquid's favor. But... You know, that was a game where I think you really saw Mad Lions' ability to play from behind with a deficit and team fight fairly well because there was multiple team fights, you know, while they weren't like big game ending, you know, game like deciding team fights. There there was a lot of team fights where Mad Lions was taking from a deficit where they were going even or they were going slightly ahead and they were sort of able to keep themselves within arm's reach from this game. But, you know, the one big team fight that did ultimately win the game was that huge top lane Alco fight where I think Teal got four kills, got Baron, and, you know, the game was quickly quickly yeah. ended. It's one of those games where the game is close until the very end, and then it's not close, and it's just kind of over. It's one of those. I will say that I thought both teams played fairly well in that game. I thought, I thought like, for, for a first game of the tournament, I, I was really impressed. I was happy. I was like, okay, you know what? This is going to be a good group. Either of these teams can come out on top. And then, of course, they're both at the bottom of the standings. I mean, I say at the bottom. They're one game shy. But, yeah, for, for what was the first game for them, I was like, these teams both look very good. They've got a chance of getting out, and now they're not in a position to get out. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, they definitely could work their way back in. But mm -hmm. I, think, I think Mad Lions will be all right. I mean, obviously, the biggest game... You know, of the second stage uh, is going to be Genji versus LNG for most likely the one seed, and then it'll be Mad Lions and Team Liquid to see if either of those teams will be able to stay within contention. Because you know, with both of these teams sitting at one and two, you pretty much have to win a minimum of two games going into week two. I think you know it's fairly unlikely that we're going to get a three-way like a, or sorry a four-way tie with all these teams going three and three. While it's still possible, I, I think That'd the most sweet. I think I think the most likely scenario is that 
you know, one of Gen G or LNG is either going to be five and one or four and two. And, and as Mad Lions or TL, like at a minimum, you have to win two games if you want to if you want to get out of this group. So I think in the rematch against Mad Lions versus TL, the one thing that I thought was was fairly weird about that game was um, El Yulia's J4 pick, uh, because I think while he's done a really good job of, you know, being, you know, a very objective and teamfight oriented jungler, um, just almost everybody at Worlds feels really bad on the J4 pick. One thing that I really don't like, if people don't know, I'm like a really big J4 player, but uh, one of the things that I really don't like um, about the way that people are playing J4 is the way that Jarvan works in terms of like how he acquires gold and like his item spikes during the game. Like obviously everybody knows Gore Drinker is the big spike for pretty much every jungler that's in the meta right now. Talon goes Gore Drinker. Mastercard will let you know. Oh yeah, Mastercard will let us know whatever the jingle is. But, you know, all the Assassin Junglers are building Gore Drinker. Lee Sin's building Gore Drinker. Zin Zhao J4. But pretty much right after you finish Gore Drinker, like, you pretty much go into, like, low economy mode. Because there's almost no reason, unless you're super far ahead on J4, to continue to really, like, hard farm and take all your camps. Like, it's usually, especially in competitive play, always more beneficial to give those excess, you know, Raptors and Krugs and sometimes Gromp and Wolves or whatever to your AD carry or your mid laner. So for the most part, you're playing on, like, a fairly low economy. And you know, people are obviously going for, like the GAs and the Sterex gauges. But the main thing that people are like kind of missing out on is like the stopwatches. Like you really see that like, you know, these junglers have to sink 650 gold into these stopwatches, especially J4, who's a way more like low econ jungler than like Kiana, Talon, Zinzao or whatever. And I think, you know, people are always going to free booties on J4. And I think like the, the value of that 650 gold and that free stopwatch, I think really increases your team fight value, especially early on, because we're often seeing all these junglers not get stopwatches until like 30 to, or like 25 to 30 minutes on J4. When like, if you have that stopwatch at 12 minutes, like you can make some really insane plays. And I think, you know, I, I don't know. I just think if junglers, if these J4s would take stopwatch, I think they'd actually like be able to have way more impact. No, it's a good point because what J4 will not get value out of stopwatch? Your champion is designed to go in, right? And when you're that kind of champion, you're going to get value out of it because you're putting yourself at risk going into the enemy team. So I, I think there's some validity to what you're saying there. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out about Mad Lions was that I was just kind of realizing that their losses were kind of close games. Like I mentioned how the TL one was close for a lot of the game until the very end. We mentioned how there was the fight that really swung it in Team Liquid's favor. But for most of that game, it was a 1 or 2k gold lead for TL. But even the game against uh, the LNG game, yeah, it was, was actually today. fairly close. It was actually fairly close as well. And we saw Karzi Gale Force forward in one team fight. And that was like that was the mistake. It was just one mistake in a team fight. Tarzan capitalized on it and got the kick and whatnot. And so that's kind of what ruined it there. But it was just goes to show that it wasn't like a bunch of mistakes that are leading Mad Lions to these losses. They're actually in all of these games. Mm -hmm. And so even though they're one and two, I still think Mad Lions is looking good and yeah, like I said, they're definitely still in. I mean, all of the teams are still in it, but I just want to put more emphasis how, on how they're not getting stomped even in their losses, like their close game. So just another little bit of hopium for, for the EU fans out there, and I guess copium as well, why not? Yeah, and I guess we'll quickly uh, touch on Team Liquid as well because um, we haven't talked about them a whole lot. Um, I think, you know, it's it's hard to really judge them in terms of like their chances of getting out right now because yes while statistically they have just they, they have an equal chance of mad lines to get out at the same time those games like you mentioned against gen g and against lng from team liquid's perspective were way more one-sided than what mad lines was able to replicate against both of those teams 
Right. That yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, like they got smashed by both Gen G and LNG and the thing, you know, that I think I don't remember who on the analyst test was talking about, but they they were basically saying how like Alfari does feel very important to this team where like if he's not generating a lead or if he's not generating any pressure, it's kind of hard for Team Liquid to do a whole lot because the identity of this team towards the end of the spring split and in the LCS summer playoffs was Core JJ getting out of bot lane early and often and going to the mid and top side of the map to make right. four man plays around top side to, to do early rift heralds. And when you have no pressure in top in top lane, you're kind of seeing like Core JJ is doing a lot of these roams, but like not doing much of anything. And tactical, you know, he's not doing much of anything either because he's just like 1v1 farming a lane on Ziggs. And, yeah. you know, Team Liquid's not getting those leads that they're kind of used to in the LCS. Yeah, the the one thing that I'll say, and you may have heard me say this before about the Ziggs, there's not a lot of AD carries that I think play the Ziggs very well, and I think that's mostly because Ziggs is not necessarily an AD carry that, well, he's not an AD carry, straight up. So I think you see a little bit of a struggling with that. Um, yeah, I don't think we've seen I'll... an actual good Ziggs performance yet at Worlds with like, I know Gumayushi played it, Tactical played yeah. it, two others played it, I don't remember, but I, I knew there were two other Ziggs games. But I, yeah, I'm like you. I haven't really been impressed by any of the. The ADs other thing, it. yeah, the other thing that I'll add is to your point of Core JJ being able to roam and impact other lanes. I think the problem isn't so much a Core JJ thing, and it's more of a the other teams do that too now. Like yeah, this isn't exactly. the LCS anymore. <laughs> this isn't the LCS anymore where you can get away and get advantages because you know LCS are sending their supports back bot lane to AFK and do nothing. This is like you have very proactive supports. That's what the meta calls for. And so it's not as easy to make these plays for Core JJ, whereas you're being answered by all of the other supports. And let me remind you, there's a lot of good supports out there. Uh, so I think that's one of the issues that you're running into. Yeah, I mean, and, and even just like, you know, if the other teams are doing their homework, like they should know that that's going to be the TL game plan. And I think TL, right. they, similar to what you were talking about with 100 Thieves and Cloud9 and Rogue, like, they need to throw out those game plans and sort of create new ones or, you know, kind of, you know, find some newer version of that to try to make it work because what they're doing right now is not really working. Yeah. Uh, one last thing that I forgot to shout out is Ale. I think he's looked really good this tournament. We saw him look good in play-ins and it was like, well, he's kind of clapping all the play-in top laners. Are we going to see that in the group stage? Yep. He still looks solid, honestly. He's been so... 2.0. Yeah, he's been, and that's how he, as advertised, right? A lot of people uh, coming into the tournament were saying Bin 2.0. Um, for those that listen to Rift Reaction, one of Travis's shows, um, Travis Gafford, that is, he had um, uh, Lyric on, who's one of the LPL casters, and that's basically what he said. He said, when you have Ole, you're going, going to get Bin 2.0. He's going to dish out a lot of damage and be kind of clutch in teamfights. Well, that's exactly what we're seeing, and so, yeah, props to him because he looked really really good yeah i looked up his uh champion stats for all of 2021 in his 83 total games he played a carry 77 of those 83 games he he played like a tank only I six know. and i think like the, the tanks were like i think it was like two games of set who you could honestly like consider not a tank but i think he plays more of a tank role nowadays um it was like set orn and scion it was like only six games with two apiece of those champions and dude, it was just like so much Irelia, so much Jax, so much Fiora. Like it was, it was so funny. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's all I have on it. Oh no, one other thing I actually forgot. I wanted to bring up the Alfari, the Alfari quote. 
oh, uh, yeah. that he had in his interview. I wanted to know your thoughts on it, JNT. Let me find the quote here. Um, in his interview with Travis Gafford, he said, NA currently is at a similar level to Europe, if not better. Europe is not a particularly strong region at this event. I don't expect any of the European teams to make it out of groups. Now, that's what he said, but I will have to add that, like, uh, he's pretty notorious for trash talk, right? Like, that's something mm -hmm. that he does a lot, so you can maybe take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but what are your overall impressions from that, Jayant? I don't think he's that far off. I don't know if I would call Europe bad as a whole region at this yeah. event, but I would also say, like, I don't think the gap between Europe and NA is that big right now. Uh, I think definitely... it's smaller, but I definitely still think Europe is better. To say that NA, yeah. cur is cur NA currently is at a similar level to Europe, Define similar. Because, yeah, but again, like, but but like that, I wouldn't call that a product of NA getting better. It would be like I don't think Mad Lions are playing as well as they were, and I don't think Rogue is playing as, as well the as they G2 once were last year. Exactly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or the past couple of years. Yeah, even. and so and I mean, have left a couple of years. Everyone is going to compare Europe as an entire region to G two and Fnatic from 2018, 2019, and twenty twenty, where they made Worlds right. final, Worlds final, and then G two made semifinals in twenty twenty, and Fnatic made quarterfinals. Uh, going five games against top esports but to be honest i mean like i don't think any european team really is going to be able to replicate 2018 fanatic and 2019 g2 uh, i don't think the mad lions in particular have that sort of like marquee player or like like they don't have that caps that is gonna is like on a world-class level at the moment i think fanatic or sorry mad lions have that same intelligence and team fighting that those Fnatic and G2 rosters did but you know in 2018 like Caps was on another level and in 2019 G2 was just like this whole like triple flexing draft strategy like gave them such an advantage in drafts and I don't think Mad Lions are have that extra like little they don't have that extra, that extra sauce to be at that level yeah. but I do think they're a strong team the the only thing that I could think of uh, as far as standouts from the NA and EU teams is Cloud9. I don't think is on on par with any of the other five teams. I, I think you have when it comes to 100 Thieves, Team Liquid, Mad, uh, who am I forgetting? Rogan, Fnatic. Fnatic. Did I get them all. Yep. So, okay. Um, I think any of those teams can kind of beat each other. Whereas like C9 could have a chance of beating them, sure, but I would definitely put them at the bottom of those six teams. That's the only thing yeah. for me is like. When we're talking about NA altogether, Cloud9 is just clearly the weakest uh, yeah. for me. I, mean, so I, I wouldn't know. put them in the conversation. I would maybe put Fnatic's current level right now. That's a little kind of, different. Yeah, I it's, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get into it's that. Good, it's a fair comment, though. Yeah. It's fair. Um, yeah. I guess uh, for me, uh, how this group I think is going to play out in you know week two, I'm going to stick with my original prediction of LNG one, Mad Lions two, Gen G three, TL four. Um, so, you know, I think I'm assuming here in this scenario that LNG is going to go 3-0, Mad Lions will go 2-1, Gen.G will go 1-2, and TL will go 0-3. Um, to, to I don't have... even remember what mine was. Do you remember what mine was? I have I think no went... recollection. I, think I went TL2. Went... <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> that ain't happening, Chief. <laughs> it could. No, but I, I do think, you know, the marquee matchups are going to be Gen.G versus LNG, and, you know, uh, LNG, or sorry, yeah, Gen G LNG and then Gen G Mad Lions. And if you're an NA fan, like you're kind of hoping for TL to win at least two games. The most likely games that I think they can win of those two are against Gen G and Mad Lions. Um, I don't think we're going to see a repeat of the first Gen G and LNG game uh, when those two teams meet again. 
I mean, unless BDD is just going to smurf the game and solo kill Icon twice again, but I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, I think Group D is probably the you know the group I'm obviously, and I think everyone else is most excited to watch because there could be a lot of parity in this group. And it's probably our best chance of getting out of groups still, even if it doesn't look likely at this point. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely our best chance. But I agree with you at this point. I would say that Gen G and LNG are definitely looking like the two that get out. Of course, they've got a game in hand, so it's a lot easier of a take to say that. But they are looking like the two best teams uh, for now. I, I, man, I might have had Mad Lions in TL. It might have been Gen G in TL. I have no recollection. I only know that I had TL getting out, but that was more for the memes. If I'm being completely honest. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, before we move on, there was something that I forgot to talk about with the 100 Thieves thing, just because this was a really funny story. Um, so maybe some of you did hear, maybe you didn't, but during the interview with Travis Gafford, who he was saying that PSG canceled one of their scrims. And uh, they didn't really know why. So because the scrim was canceled, they're like, ah, let's just go to some lagoon, I guess. And at the lagoon, they bump into the PSG players. Oh, I saw that stuff on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like they apparently canceled the scrims to go to this lagoon and ended up bumping into the team that they canceled the scrims with, which I think is just hilarious. That's funny. Yeah, that is way too funny. Mm -hmm. But anyway, side note, but yeah. Okay, well, um, yeah, so we already talked about who we think is going to get out. Um, I think, you know, we can just quickly summarize. Uh, NA chances are low. But they're not they're not out quite yet, I think. This kind of seems on par with where we would want to be, right? Yeah, there's a chance. After yeah. week one, there's a chance. Like Got a chance, baby. Let's go. So that's all you can ask for in this day with NA. Yeah, true. Um, and I guess the last thing, um, if, you know, I know we kind of already went through all the groups and everything, but if you had, you know, any standouts from, from any team or player or anybody who's not up to snuff, you think? Yeah, the, a few players come to mind. I thought Ale's looked good, Jeje looked good, and Hanabi are the three that st stood out in good ways to me. Um, I could just flame Cloud9 <laughs> by going yeah. player by player, but instead I'll just say there was there was some standouts on Cloud9, and we'll leave it at that. Um, Blaba engages. Well, yeah, yeah. There's oh, there's some standouts, all right, just not mm -hmm. for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, any other standouts? Uh, I guess uh, we talked about who he is being standout, but like very good and then very not good. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of standout. But yeah, nothing I mean, else. The other, the other NA player that I think has a bit of been, a bit, been been pretty solid and deserves a bit of a shout out is Santorin. I think Santorin, he, he's been playing pretty pretty well. I thought his Sejuani. Game one, he looked great. Yeah. Game he, one looked he really look good against Bad Lions. His Sejuani, I thought today was also good. Um, unfortunately, they got a bit outscaled in that one. And they uh, played it into Olaf as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. The, the other standouts, I think, for me are kind of similar to, well, I guess not similar to you, but sort of the obvious players who are just playing very, very well. You know, your guys like Showmaker, your guys like Scout. Um, basically, the only ones that I really think have not been so great are a lot of the, you know, the FPX players. I think I haven't been very impressed at all True. with Tien and Doinby. Um, I think yeah. they've been their two worst players when I think coming into the tournament, everyone's like, oh my God, Doinby number one best man in the world everyone was calling him when I was still of the opinion that I would take Showmaker or Chovy over him. Um, but, I mean, if we're going to talk about Chovy, I think Chovy's also been a little bit of a disappointment. I think he didn't have the greatest play-in stage. I don't think he was playing bad by any means, but he just wasn't doing his Chovy things. And in the group stage, we have seen him struggle a little bit. Um, but, I mean, I, I still think Chovy's a very solid player, similar to Doin B and Tien. But, you know, their performances have been pretty bad relative to their expectations. 
Okay, I got a question for you. You just made me think of something. I know it's only three days in, but who would be the front runner for the Dade Award at this point? Would it be Doinby or Chobi, yeah, or is there it, someone else I'm missing? It'd be Doinby. Okay. Well, I just think I for mean, me, yeah, I think so too. Honestly. I think for me, just because he was pretty much the consensus number one best player in yep. the world to the majority of the community. When yes. I, for me personally, I was the role of showmaker, and I think you know, if I had to pick best player at the tournament so far. It would probably either be like Showmaker or Xiaohu or something. Maybe Scout as well. One of those three. Uh, if I had to pick one, I'd probably still roll with Showmaker. Um, but I mean, I, I think... don't know who I would pick. It's a yeah. tough one. There's been a lot of good that I've been yeah. seeing. I, I'd go with Showmaker. Uh, but yeah, if I had to pick Dade Award at this point, it'd be Doinby. Yeah, I'm not going to pick one because I don't really have one. I don't feel confident in one. Um, I know they've looked. Gr they've all looked good, so... Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll maybe I'll have more of an opinion after group stage is over. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the meta. I only have one thing that I want to talk about, but if there's anything that you've got on the on the world's meta, by all means, go for it, JNT. Um, I just fucking hate the jungle meta. I, I hate Gore Drinker. I'm so just done with that item. I think it makes all these champions like so unnecessarily tanky. Like we're we're seeing Kiana and Talon jungle build Gore Drinker Starax. And these are like assassins who are dealing over 1,000 damage to a single target in a team fight, who are tanky as hell, who can restore basically their entire HP bar with two Gordringer procs during a fight. It's I guess I guess it's more of a product of I don't hate the jungle meta. I just hate what the jungle meta has become because of the items currently in the game. I think Gordringer has been a problematic has been a problematic item for the entire season. Um, it's still broken. I know they're nerfing it next patch, but you know obviously Worlds is going to be. Continue to be right. played on 11.19, but I hate that item. This is just one of those examples of things that when they make a bunch of changes and stuff like that and you get to worlds, you don't really know. There's, go there's going to be some things that are stand out, standing out as OP, and this is one of them that they didn't get to in time. That's, that's yeah. what it is. It's, it's that it, the item's just a little bit broken, and you're going to see it for the rest a of the world. A little bit. Because, because they weren't able... Yeah, okay, fine. Because they weren't able to get it fixed or... Um, yeah, just get it fixed in time for the tournament. So you're stuck with it for the rest of the tournament. That's just how that works. I mean, yeah. I'll I'll, fin I'll say my good things because I know you're about to go on a little rant here. Uh, but uh, I don't think I got a long rant. I got a tiny rant. But okay. Go ahead. Uh, but one thing that I am liking is you know a lot of the champion diversity that we have in sort of top and top lane. I'm really liking that. You know, pretty much all the carry champions right now are kind of meta. Like you can you can pick Jax, you can pick Camille, you can pick Fiora, you can pick Kennen, you can pick Set. Uh, we saw Adam whip out his signature Olaf. Like, I feel like there's a lot of top lane. Uh, Nar. Yeah, Nar. I mean, he's still a solid pick. We even saw some Renekton, despite um some of the nerfs earlier today. I think, you know, similar to the last couple of seasons, you know, when Worlds has come around in top lane, it feels like the season always starts out as a tank meta, and then it slowly evolves into a carry meta when it comes to Worlds, especially when you see these really, like, highly skilled mechanical players. And top lane is always an exciting lane to watch, you know, because I think, you know, it's a very skill expressive role, especially when isolated in a one v one. Like we saw that today, man. Like Fudge was getting his ass kicked in by by Khan and Graves versus Jax. Yeah. So the one thing that stood out from what you just said, I, I wasn't going to talk about it, but you kind of refreshed my memory here, is the cannon, because we're seeing full glass cannon cannon. Yeah, that shit's actually of, fun. That's instead good. of seeing the Zonias, which is usually, I mean, that's been the you. If you're not building Zonias on cannon for years, you'd be trolling. But these cannons are just one-shotting guys with their full combo. Who needs the 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 stopwatch or the or the hourglass yeah, if dead. you're just gonna 
100 to 0 the enemy team that's something that i think has been really interesting and honestly cool to see i love seeing Kennen in the meta i like to see big team fight ultimates so i'm a big fiddle six guy cannon guy even the zigs bonds like i love big team fight ultimate so i'm loving seeing the cannon just on that note that uh since you brought him up um the little rant that i have if you will the small little rant is that i just think that if there is an overwhelming amount of uh cry out for a champion to be removed from the game like yumi why can't we just perma ban this champion if there is one champion that the pros over and over like how many posts do we have to see about people that hate playing yumi would people be upset if yumi is not in the game i think there would be very few people that would be upset if there's not yumi and i think there would be a lot of people that are really happy to see yumi removed i think there's a lot of hate for enchanters and i think that's one thing but i think people will will have to say like over and over again that the most cancer champion in the game is yumi it's so anti-fun no one wants to play with it all the pros are tweeting out all the time how they hate the champion would it be the worst thing in the world if we just perma banned one champion from the tournament I feel like it would be a better tournament. No? Yeah, I mean, uh, name me one person who likes seeing Yumi in pro play. Like, I, I speak up, please. Like, I, I don't think there's I don't a know any, but... I, I don't think there's a person that exists who does. None of the pros obviously like it. A lot of them, a lot of them have voiced their displeasure, uh, both playing Yumi and playing against it. I know, you know, there was a Humanoid interview earlier today where he was basically saying, like, how disgustingly bad he thinks Enchanter supports are for just any meta to begin with. Mainly because one thing that he was also saying was enchanters basically play so well from ahead and, you know, limit a lot of playmaking that the opponents can do if they are playing some enchanter v enchanter matchup. Or if you're playing enchanter versus like a tank engage support, like, you know, there's not a lot of comeback potential there, especially within the laning phase. And, you know, since the game is so hyper focused around laning phase in the first 10, 15 minutes of the game, it can always feel so terrible to be so far behind in the early game because. Pretty much, like, if you fall further than, like, a 4 or 5k gold lead at 15 minutes, almost almost every single time the game is over, minus Cloud9 versus FPX. Um, but, like, the good teams will close out any game when you're ahead 4 to 5k gold with, like, obviously, a, a, like, a balanced team draft that's not hyper-focused on the early game, like a Caitlyn or some dumb shit like that. But yeah, you know, w with such a focus on the early game, you know, it does feel really bad when these chanters are like so broken, like Nami, Nami and Yumi, who just completely empower the team to just like it's just a like win more mechanic, basically. The thing is, Nami, there's a weakness because she's not attached to someone, right? Like she is far more susceptible to being yeah, picked off. It feels like there's counterplay. Right, with a Yumi who's attached to someone, it's it's really difficult. You have to kill that person first, which is sometimes like an Olaf or some sort of insane champion before you can get to the yumi so i think it's very different there um the other thing i do want to play devil's advocate to the idea though and i just want to say that you could argue well if you start allowing uh teams or players to vote on like banning one champion at worlds do they then start to cry out that they could ban two and then three and then four champions and that is definitely a drawback that could happen but if you come out and just say, look, we're allowing a one perma ban, we'll let all the players or teams vote on what champion they want banned, I would not be surprised if literally every single team said they wanted Yumi banned. And if that is the case, if it is that unanimous, then I think you could go ahead and just perma ban the champion without forcing teams to waste a ban on it because, well, I mean, a lot of times you have to.
And yeah, when you yeah. don't, you're you're really getting punished for it. Yeah, I, I've always hated the metas where you basically are forced as the red side team to ban a specific number of champions, whether that's one champion, whether that's two, whether that's three. I mean, the, the most important one to, I think, date back to is like season seven when they reworked LeBlanc and Rengar. And those two champions were basically, you had to permanently ban them on red side um, because if, you know, the enemy team got one, you know, the game was pretty much over, and it, the meta kind of evolved into, like, well, you leave them both unbanned, and you sort of trade one for one, but then it's like you just have, like, two broken champions going off against each other, and whichever one gets more fed kind of wins the game. And I've always hated metas where, like, there's one specific champion you always 100% have to ban on red side, and if you let it through, you're basically just trolling. And it does feel like at Worlds, there's always that one champion, which is it. Right now, it kind of feels like Yumi. Like, if that champion's in the game, it's just, like, so disgusting. I don't even know what the record is. I want to look it up right now. But like the record I, of what what Yumi is like when she gets played if she's like oh I see hundred percent win rate or whatever. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. All I know is that no one wants to see the champion. You see an overwhelming amount of yeah, it's uh, got support it's, for yeah. getting rid of this champion. Yeah, like it's got one loss. It was like Rogue vs Cloud Nine. Cloud Nine was playing it when they lost. Um, but so it took that, Cloud like, Nine to give Yumi the loss. Exactly, and that 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 tells you something about how Cloud Nine's playing right now. Yeah. Yeah, or it tells you something about how, just how strong Yumi is. Uh, anyways, that's that's it for my little rant, if you will, on on the meta. I, overall, I, I still think there's a lot of fun stuff that we're seeing. So yeah, it's not all. I, I like the champion diversity. I, I just, if we could go this world's without any more gore drinker stuff or Yumi, I would appreciate that. Okay, let's do pop off bean soup. Okay. The awards, James. Yeah, you, yeah. you start this week. Um. Well, I kind of give a bit of a pre precursor to it but i'm gonna give jiaohu my pop off oh, um okay. because i think I, I i was thinking about this yesterday night i don't know how it kind of popped into my mind but people always associate like the best player in the world as a mid laner and i think rightfully so because mid you know apart from jungle mid is the highest impact role in the game and usually has the most skill expression in terms of landing phase and champions and champion play style and you know mechanics and everything like that and most people will obviously, you know, they'll do the trio of like Doinby, Chovy, and Showmaker for best player in the world. And people have kind of been debating between those three for the last little while. But I think I could say that the best player in the world right now who's not a mid laner, I would probably pick Xiaohu. I think hmm. basically since the start of 2021, he's been just like hard popping off. He was their best player for me at MSI uh, when they won MSI. I know, that, you know. Their whole team was playing very well, very, very well. Wei had a really great start to the tournament. Gala was also playing well. Kryon was also playing well. Ming has been great for basically like five years in a row now. But for me, for me, Xiaohu was their best player. I think he's the best top laner in the world right now. He has such a huge champion pool and exerts so much pressure in lane with these picks like Lucian top and Syndra top. And I, I think that guy is just insane, dude. Like, That's I think really he's insane. Point. I haven't, I, there might be someone that I'm forgetting because I haven't really put any thought into this, but. That's something that I could probably agree with. Off the top of my head, it does seem like Jahu would yeah, be my guy. I mean, the other ones to think about who like wouldn't be mid laners would be like some junglers like with like Tarzan or Canyon or anything like that. But I, yeah. I would take Jahu personally. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Thought. And uh, I gave a little honorable mention. This is not a player, but it's uh, Kobe when he said the "you just got beaned" line what? against uh, Fnatic. Oh, is that yours? That's my bean soup award. <laughs> Wait, why is that a bean soup? Because he didn't know what a loony and a toonie was. Dude, that could be pop off or bean soup. No, I'm no, not, mine, mine was, was the. losing it. Mine was the you got beaned one. Oh, never mind. Mine was the loony toonie thing. Oh, no. So the, each remember had a, in the, in the each Humble had Life a Kobe game? One. 
in the Hama yes, Life yes, game yes. where he uh he said you got beaned after being in Hillisang, got like a two v two kill. It just goes to show that Kobe's been freaking hilarious and been doing a great job. Even though I'm giving him the bean soup on this one for the Looney Tooney thing, I was dying laughing. Like that was so funny when he said he said something like, "What kind of currency are you living in, Candyland?" I lost it, man. That was so funny. I should. I'm sure I have a Looney and Toonie lying around somewhere, but uh, I mean, it's it's a coin, guys. I could show you, but it's a coin. That's all it is. It's Canadian coins for one and two dollars. Holy shit, though, that was so funny. Gotta love good. Kobe. Okay, what was your pop off um, then? My pop off, I'm gonna, I gotta give it to Hanabi because um, I don't think there was a lot of confidence in just how good PSG would look this tournament, and they looked pretty good. And I think he's been their best player so far been putting out a lot of damage i mean it's weird to say because i think most of the team has looked good to be quite honest but i think he's been just a little bit better than the rest of his teammates and so uh his gp and gwen were nuts i had to give it to him he looked great mm -hmm. um yeah for my bean soup uh, again we kind of already talked about it a little bit uh but i give give it to doinby um he just not that like he hasn't been like inting games or playing terrible but i mean he had a pretty rough early game against cloud nine him and like he was getting absolutely shit on by damn one uh, he was kind of not, he wasn't like a huge impact player in their win against Rogue. Um, I, I just, for a guy who like came in hyped up as the best and most impactful player in the world, like not seeing it right now. Not say that he can't no, be that player right. and not say that he not is, he's not that player, but it's just, we ain't seeing it right now. No, I think I think you're right. I think it's totally fair. Like you, like we mentioned before, it's possible that he's probably the front runner right now for the Dada Award. And yes, it's only been three games, but. I mean, yeah, he's supposed to be one of the best players in the world or the best player in the world, I think most people would say. So we expect a little bit more out of him. We probably will get it, but at this rate, not so confident. I will we'll dominate see. fucking crying in a corner right now. Oh, true, true. Uh, okay, what, what, what's next? The, the all chat thing. Yeah. Riot decided to just dip ski on on all chat randomly they're just pulling plug on it jnt impressions go um i've been trying to think like i've been trying to give this a real good think over the last 24 hours because it got announced yesterday and you know obviously it came with a ton of backlash and i think deservedly so um i, I guess i'll break it up into two parts one will this help revert toxicity yes no. probably it'll help no. it'll help Oh, okay. Well, I thought you meant like get, when you say revert, I think you mean like get rid of, but no. you mean like slow it down. Yeah, it'll it'll will okay. it slow down toxicity? Yes. Um, is it sure. a, is it a huge deal that people will know like will no longer be able to banter in all chat and and actually have wholesome and meaningful interactions in all chat? I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. But I think the real mm -hmm. problem here is Riot is kind of using this as an as like an attempted band-aid fix to try and like help remove toxicity as opposed to attacking these many many other problems that league personalities people just on reddit or twitter have been pointing out that have existed for a number and number of years for the most part what, what i would say is toxicity basically stems from shitty gameplay yeah i did say that i'm quitting this game in 2022 the game is going to hell yeah, so just for those listening, uh, BNT250, I guess the clone to JNT250, is calling him out saying, yesterday in Discord, open quote, this change 
is dog shit. I'm quitting the game as soon as I hit diamond, close quote. Well, and the reason why the change is dog shit is because it's very clear that Riot is just like so disconnected from what the community wants and what the community wants fixed. The, pro the problem has not been, you know, this all chatting toxicity. It's the toxicity that occurs within team chat because yes. there are not important, there are not impactful and meaning, meaning, meaning methods for communication in game. Like part of the reason why toxicity in team chat occurs so much is like somebody might make a play and it's like, oh, you know, like I thought you were backing up. Like, what are you doing? You fucking idiot then or something like that. Or, or a, a player is playing bad. And I yeah. think all of that can stem from some simple changes with one removing the straight up toxic people, putting a higher focus on manually banning people and reviewing chat logs and whatever, whatever, but also creating more ways for teams to communicate and play better within the game because that's what toxicity comes from. It's from bad gameplay, whether it's your own or whether it's your opponent's. And I think more often than not, it's your team's own gameplay that results in people being toxic towards each other than, you know, random dumbass shit that's going on in all chat with people typing GG easy and jungle gap. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I've never been the guy for GG easy. I'm not a huge fan of that. But if you're getting bothered by GG easy at this point in the game, man, like, there's worse things than GG easy. Let's just put it that way. Um, that is like so minor as a level of toxicity to me that that's not that big of a deal. I don't think this fixes a whole lot to your point. It reverts a very small amount of toxicity that I'm like, whatever. And one of the things that stood out to me was as soon as they made this announcement uh, public, there seemed to be so many other ways of fixing it that were put as Reddit posts that were just like, that would be better. The one that stood out to me was, why won't you just require a certain honor level to be able to use all chat? If that's if all chat is the toxicity problem, if that's what's really toxic, why not just put that as a reward for having a certain level of honor to be able to use it? That to me, I was like, yeah, that already sounds like a better idea. Like the, the thing was made public, immediately someone came up with to me, what I thought was an obviously better change. So that's what, it seems like they didn't really put a lot of thought into this because like I said, so quickly, there was just an obvious uh, better thing that you could do. The other thing, uh, I'm losing my, my thought process here. Well, well, quickly, just to jump in, another thing that Go I was going to say is all chat is already an opt-in. That's what it was. Right. All chat is already opt-in. When you, when you start playing the game, all chat for yourself, when you make a new account as a new player, whether you're a new player, whether you're uh, you know, a regular player making another account, all chat is disabled to begin with. And you have to manually go into the settings to turn it on, meaning... Those players who are turning it on are ones who actually want to all chat. And yes, while people are going to turn on all chat because they want to flame or do whatever, the, the number of people who turn on all chat to want to just communicate with the enemy team greatly outweighs the number who just do it to be an asshole and do it to be toxic. And I think, you know, a much easier fix could have been like, hey, like, we're going to take every account and turn all chat off. And if you want to go back into your settings and turn it back on, then go ahead and you do that. But like, there are plenty of other ways that they could have done this in a more controlled and slower way than just simply cutting the whole thing off. Like maybe do it for like a two week period or something, or at least say you're going to do it for a two week period because they basically said like, we're going to turn it off and we might turn it back on whether or not. Like, I feel like people yeah. would have been way more understandable if they said, Hey, we're going to turn it off. We're going to do two weeks of testing, then turn it back on and compare these two weeks of data and then make a decision that would make a little bit more sense. But just to bluntly say, we're turning it off and we might turn it back on as opposed to like 
oh, we're turning it on, we're turning it off, we're going to collect some data, turn it back on, then make a decision. Like, it just looks so idiotic. And it looks kind of like you said, that they didn't really think it through. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the other thing that, and Tyler One mentioned this, so this is something that uh, I heard from Tyler One that I thought was a good point, was he said, this pretty much means that we're never getting voice chat. Exactly. Like, if all chat is going to trigger them this much, we're not getting voice chat, which to me, I've said for a long time, I think voice chat should be a thing. That, again, you have the option of opting out of. If you don't want it, you can mute. Because I think a lot of the frustration that happens in League, and don't get me wrong, there will definitely be toxicity in voice chat. I don't want to acknowledge, I don't want to say that there wouldn't be. But I think a lot of the frustration comes with miscommunication, which I think miscommunication would be able to sure up, or excuse me, I think voice chat would be able to sure up some of that miscommunication that happens in games. Like, if there's someone that could just say, hey, I'm going to dive here, I'll tank tower, instead of with no voice, it's like you don't know who's going to tank first. You don't know if you want to make the dive. You don't know if you want to call off the dive, for example. And then next thing you know, people are arguing in chat, oh, what the hell? Why would you take aggro there? I was going to take aggro or things of that nature that mm -hmm. people just get in huge arguments over. I think a lot of that stuff would be reduced. And I think there would be an overall better game experience if you got to know some of the people you were playing with just by chatting. There, there's people that I used to play League with all the time that I got to know them just from chatting in 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 text, which I think you would be able to make a lot more positive relationships with people in the game just through voice. Like you're assuming that all of the the interactions you would have with people would be negative, but there would be some really positive interactions with your own teammates, especially if you have a good game together. Hey, let's queue up and play some more. I'm sure that would happen so much more if there was voice chat. Yeah, so I know a lot of people wouldn't like voice chat, but I think it would be so much better for the game. Yeah, and I think another thing that a lot of, that a lot of people were saying is like, well, why don't we just do this for ranked and just keep it for norms? And I think, you know, when you isolate the two game modes, I think in my case, it's definitely more like in ranked, I'm playing and I'm focusing on winning and I'm not really using all chat to like talk shit or even really talk to enemy team. Like I'm focused on my gameplay. Where like in normal games, like I don't really give, like I'm out here bantering, like, not playing normal games and like absolutely tryharding and sweating my ass off, but like it is fun for the occasional banter in all chat between teams. Like one of like the pastimes that I remember the most from like playing league like way back in the day when I was super noob is like whenever I was like really close in a one v one with somebody, I'm like oh nice one v one, like oh how much HP did you live with, and like you know whatever. And, like I always like appreciated when like the enemy would like respond to me. It's like, oh yeah, like, damn, that was a really nice 1v1. You played it well. Or like, oh man, I live with one HP. Like one more tick of Ignite, I would have died. Or something just random like that. Like those right. are the kinds of moments that one, remind you that you're playing a multiplayer game. And two, like there are other people on the other end of the computer. Like a lot of people were also saying, Doublelift included, um, when he, he was kind of making some comments about it. Like when you turn off all chat, like it's hard to like really distinguish like who you're playing against because you lose that form of interaction it's just like oh well, like at this point like i'm just playing up i'm playing up against nameless voiceless te like enemy team like there, there's mm -hmm. nothing there's no personality behind it like there's no there's no communication there's no emotion behind it it's just like you're playing against a computer that's what it feels like it obviously isn't that but that's what it can feel like to players especially ones who enjoy that interaction yep Last thing for me that I'll add, I just want to shout out Vapire in the live chat saying more options for communication is always better than less. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree anymore. Yeah, I think for whatever reason, like I think everyone is kind of under this assumption that Riot is fearful that if they did turn on like voice communication that the game would become even more toxic. Toxic, but from like from my experiences of playing other multiplayer games, especially FPS shooters, like it is way less toxic in those games because 
when you do have kind of a, a voice behind, you know, your teammates, it, it does give you that little extra motivation to like want to play well for them and want to win with them. Like you're not like talking in voice comms, like to absolutely just shit talk somebody else. Like unless you're really that asshole. And in that case, they are the people that you are trying to re to weed out with this toxicity. But it, it just feels, I don't know, like just so sad about this change. It just, it, it feels like complete backwards logic. And that's my biggest problem with it. Not that all chat is being turned off. While I do disagree with that, I don't think, you know, this is like a completely terrible, ch I mean, it's a bad change, but it's not like this ever changing garbage change that's going to ruin the game. But it's definitely the backwards thinking that I have the biggest problem with. And I think that could lead to more problems down the road because of the way that they're handling this. Yeah. Also, uh, I guess open mid won't ever happen either. You can't be like, hey, we're open. Which yeah. is a there, there's gonna, there's, We're going to have to like, I'm trying to think, like, we're going to have to create like a, a league language with emotes. Like everyone, like yeah, everyone, true. everyone enables this emote, and this emote means this. This means emote, open mid. Yeah, 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 that's that's not a bad idea because emotes you can still see those across. That that's a good. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the the other obvious answer is like, dude, like you can mute people in all chat. Like, if someone's being yep. toxic in all chat, like just mute them. Like these are or, these are uh, options that have been added to the game, in yep. steps steps to lower the toxicity, ones that you yourself can control. Even if yes. people always want to worry about, like, team toxicity, like, oh, this guy's flaming me, like, dude, just mute this guy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I'm I'm done ranting about that. You got anything else on it? Uh, Like I said, League's dead in 2022. The preseason's fucked. All chat fucked. New champs probably fucked. You've hated preseason in the past, and you've come back. I've always hated preseason, dude. Your rune page name is like "fuck preseason" or something. It's I, never gonna. My change. one and only rune page that I use. Also, like very weird tangent, but like I don't understand people who, in the current rune system, use like multiple rune pages. Like I just use the same one and change it every time. So I've had the same one okay, since the new runes reforged system came out. That just says fuck preseason because when the runes shit was coming, I was like, this changes dog shit. Fuck preseason, and it's still the same thing. The the multiple room page is nice for like bronze and silver players that don't really want to think about it. They don't really know what the best runes are, and so they're just like, ah, this one's for my tank champions. This one's for my DPS champions. Even though I know that's not how runes should be. Let's be honest, that's kind of how people. I got friends that do that. I know friends that. Then they're not getting the best bang for their buck. Well, I mean, they're bronze and they don't really give a shit. So. There you have it. Um, let's move on to the Mad Lions thing, because I thought the, the interview, uh, the Mad Lions coach interview with Ashley Kang was great. I think there was a lot that was talked about in that interview that I think needs to be talked about more often. And I kind of wanted to talk about it in our last episode, but as those of you that did listen to it will know, it went really long. It was like our longest episode so far. So let's try to squeeze it in now. Um, one of the, the first things that I want to talk about is they talk about burnout. Um, and how a lot of teams don't want to talk about burnout because it makes them look bad. And the one thing that Mac w was uh, alluding to and that he mentioned was that uh, the year that G2 took two weeks off, I think it was before MSI, there was the G2 weeks uh, vacation meme and they got memed on for it. But he says that he thinks it's really good that you're able to own up to your weaknesses. And I completely agree that honestly, just admitting that you have burnout is not a bad thing. And to pretend like it's not a thing that's plaguing a lot of the League of Legends community is just not, it's not authentic. It's just not the way we should be going about things. And I thought that this interview was just great for highlighting. 
Yeah, it feels like the majority of the sort of uh, debate points between, you know, a lot of the burnout talk that's been going on over the last two years is how do you measure, you know, trying to reach the pinnacle of League of Legends, which is maybe, you know, winning the world championship, winning a regional league compared to ha having a balanced, you know, lifestyle that is one healthy, whether that's sleep, social life, you know, uh, mental health, eating and, and what have you. And I think, you know, in that interview, um, the Mad Lions coach, uh, what's his name, Mac? Is it just Mac? Coach Mac? I think it's Mac. Yeah. I think he made some really valid points about why, you know, wh while it is true that the majority of, you know, these top league players, you know, do have a very League of Legends focused lifestyle, you know, it does take away from, you know, the other portions of their life where they might struggle later on in life. I think, you know, the main point that he was talking about is while Uzi is kind of heralded as like, one of the best right. players of all time, you know, best Chinese player of all time, maybe best AD carry of all time. Like he's has, he has some serious health problems with his wrist. And he said he had diabetes, which I didn't actually know that Uzi has type two diabetes. Yeah. I never heard that. So that was kind of like news to me, but I did know that he has, you know, chronic wrist pain and wrist pain that has, you know, limited his ability to play the game for the last couple of years. And, you know, was probably, you know, probably correlated with RNGs, you know, dipping performance slowly over time since like season seven. So yeah, I the, think, the you know, biggest... he's, well, I, I'm just, I'm just saying he made some really, really valid points. Ones that I hadn't really considered at the time, but on the flip side, the ones who do put in the most work and, you know, unfortunately do ignore those other aspects of their lifestyle are most likely the ones that are going to be successful because of the sheer number of hours that they are putting into the game. Right. So yeah, one, I, I definitely recognize that, you know, you do need to live a balanced lifestyle, but ultimately that's probably not what's going to lead you to the top. Well, and I think one of the points, I don't know if he actually says this or if he just alludes to it. This is one of the things that I got out of his conversation with Ashley Kang was that you could always look at the teams that win worlds and say, well, this is how they're doing it. Sure. But there's also a lot of teams that are doing that same kind of thing that are grinding nonstop that are taking one day off a month as Ashley Kang mentioned, but there's teams that are doing that and still not winning. And so like, you can't just look at the absolute, the best teams that are just winning and doing that when there's a bunch of other teams that are doing the same and not and, and coming up short uzi no. does not have a world championship under his belt and like you mentioned like he mentioned in the interview he now has type 2 diabetes and chronic wrist pain which is going to stick with him for the rest of his life and it's like well is that really worth it because and the best comparison that he made was when he was talking about someone like caps he's like Caps is a guy that made it to world finals and definitely could have won a championship. Sure, they fell short a couple of times, but you get very, very close. And this is a guy that's going out and having fun and always smiling, enjoying the game. He said, from his point of view, that is a much better um, accurate picture of what success is than the Uzi, uh, than Uzi, who's got obviously a lot of issues that's come with his hard grinding, right? So mm -hmm. there's some things you have to balance out and you have to consider all the different scenarios that could happen. And so I, I really wanted to credit him and the Mad Lions organization and any other organization for that matter that takes this approach of let's give our players uh, four days off a month, at least give so once a week at the very least. Um, they also tried to allocate budget for bringing in family members. He also mentioned in the interview that they couldn't do that. They couldn't bring over friends and family because of COVID reasons, but that they allocated budget to fly in family members is something that I think they will definitely try to do in the future just for the overall mental health of their players. And this is something to me that I think is so fucking awesome that orgs start to realize just how important the mental health of their players is. I really wanted to highlight just all the things that they said in that interview. Uh, to me, I when I think of success, I would say Caps has been way more successful than Uzi 
just because he's able to do it in a way more healthy way and he can continue to play league and be and have a much longer career than Uzi was able to have. Yeah. I mean, fact, and, and none of them came up with a championship, right? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of teams, not only Mad Lions, have always cited, you know, after MSI, a lot of these teams do experience the MSI Blues, whether that's one, because they are feeling burnt out on the game and they don't want to play as much. And whether that's, you know, what you continue to play the game and, you know, that you, your burnout sort of leads into summer and beyond, or you, you take the precautions by, by taking a break maybe before the start of summer split. Yes, you might not go off have the best start to your summer split. But, you know, Cloud9 also talked about that after MSI. Like, they let their players have a nice long break and really only started scrimming three days before the season start. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, maybe that has been the case of, you know, Cloud9 has really never been, never been able to pick up the pieces since MSI. And, right. I mean, obviously, yep. we don't know if that's because, you know, that those three or four extra weeks of practicing would have helped them or, or whatever. But, you know, you can go back to, what was it, just over a year ago where, G2 was talking about how pretty much the entirety of 2019, these guys were playing nonstop trying to become the best. And, you know, they won MSI in season nine and they made world finals in season nine. But by the time season 10 rolled around, you know, we saw them really struggle and they were openly talking about how they had grinded so hard during 2019. Like at the beginning of 2020, they really needed a break. Yeah. And I don't want to, um, I guess what I'm saying is this is just the way I look at it and what I look at, the way I look at success is very much aligned with how Mac said it in his interview. If you are a player that feels like the only way you will ever have success is winning worlds and you think that the best way to do it is to sacrifice some of your health by hard grinding, by all means, go for it, right? Do whatever you think. Like, I obviously believe you should be free to, to do whatever you want. I just hope that the players that are doing it understand the risks of what they're getting into because i don't think they necessarily do maybe they do maybe they don't but i would be really curious to know how uzi feels about his career because he has had what we would all consider to still be a successful career um with being one of the best ad's of all time um but i would really like to hear whether he thinks it's worth it and if he would trade it back to being maybe being not so great but being able to use your wrists for just everyday life uh because, I mean, there's a really significant trade-off there. And obviously, type 2 diabetes is something that, that could be a very rare thing, right? Like, this is probably not happening to a lot of players. But the fact that it could happen from this kind of lifestyle yeah. is something that I hope all the players understand before they commit to that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the obvious comparison that people have kind of drawn to both now and in the past um, was, you know, how NA you know, always sort of lacks motivation or people always talk about North America and how, oh, they're not as motivated as Europe or, or, or the Eastern regions. And it kind of made me wonder, like, if the LCS and the whole, like, Riot Games hub was just in, like, some butt-fucking-nowhere place and not, like, LA Hollywood, like, do you think they would be more successful because they'd be just, like, playing the game more and, like, not having more of a social life? I honestly wonder if, like, that would be the case. I, I don't know because I don't think, like... A lot of the a lot of the players in the LCS say anyways that that's all they do is play the game in the first place. Like sure they don't grind as hard as like the the Chinese or or Korean teams, but from what I could tell. But it seems like most of them aren't guys that really like to go out all that often anyways. I mean I I'm, I know I'm not speaking for everyone here in the LCS, but it seems to be the case that they're not really like they really want to go out and do other things. Um, so. I don't think it would be much different, but it is a good question because I don't know the answer for sure, honestly. Yeah, it, it's it actually was a pretty insightful interview. I was, I know you told me to watch it uh, when it originally came out, but 
getting around yeah, to watching it, was it today. It, no, it was good. And then kind of sim similar to what you said, like I definitely agree with the majority of the points that Mac made when he was talking about how you sort of need to approach, you know, you, you can sort of minimize your burnout towards the game by living that healthy lifestyle. And he, he was kind of talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. the, the other thing that uh, just one quick last thing on the topic is that uh, the, the discussion was brought up of whether, uh, the the way the season was implemented before League of Legends was actually an esport is like one of the reasons why we're dealing with this now is because, well, back then when when League of Legends started becoming an esport, it was fine that the schedule was so long and that there was only a couple of months off in the regular season, like obviously November, December, because uh, just two months was all you needed. Nowadays, people grind way harder than people would have back in season one, two, and three for example. And so now you have to wonder if those two months is not enough uh, to really get a break. And, and I honestly completely think that it is not enough. I think the season is way too long, but it's something that was implemented before the actual eSport was fully cemented into what it's become now. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, we only have a couple little quick news things to round out this episode. Um, Let's get into them and we'll close it out. A couple things being two things. Uh, first off, Unicorns of Love they announced that the, they're releasing their whole roster after their i think what you could what you could what you could say was a disappointing world's 2021 play in stage performance yeah um i'm not really all that surprised uh I, I guess i'm a little bit surprised because they've had so much success in the region and they're saying like their goal is to still come back and win the region next year that's their goal but it's like, well, then why wouldn't you stick with the players that just helped you win the region for the last couple of years? So that's what I'm a little puzzled about. Maybe they have some players in, in, the, in the pipeline that they think are going to be better next year. They must, I'm assuming, if, they, if their goal is still to win that region like they said. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit perplexing. But with the, with the lack of success at international play, I'm not all that surprised. Mm. Um, and then last up, uh, you know, Carlos aka Ocelot, owner of G2, came out with a video on Twitter basically confirming all of the rumors that have been swirling around for the last week that they are looking to trade Wonder, Reckless, Mickey, and their entire coaching staff. That includes Grabs, Nelson, and all of their analysts. Yeah, and so there's a lot of speculation on where these players could go. I don't think there's anything that's, like, there's no, like, rumors just yet. A lot of people were maybe saying that this could be connected to the Fnatic thing, uh, myself included. I was wondering myself if this this stuff all being released the same time that um, that Upset had to leave the team, if maybe he heard that uh, Fnatic was considering going back to Reckless. This is all pure, just like, there's no, it's all conjecture. There's nothing backing that up. But you do have to wonder because it could be, it, it just simply could be a coincidence, right? And we don't want to speculate too much because we saw what can happen with Nemesis uh obviously speculating that it was all a cover-up with upset um maybe these things are intertwined but maybe they're just not and maybe there's nothing to it whatsoever but we'll have to wait and see where these players end up these are three good players and, and obviously the coaching staff as well um so there's a lot of good stuff out there to be grabbed up there's been some talk that tsm want reckless you could argue all day whether you think that's a good thing or not um mm -hmm. but i can promise you that there's going to be a lot of interest in these players and the coaching staff yeah the one thing that I thought was interesting in the in the announcement that Carlos said, it wasn't like these players are being traded. I, I'm pretty sure someone quote is stop me if I'm wrong. Let me know in the comment section if I'm doing this wrong. But I think he said these players are benched and traded or something like well, he that. Said they're, like, well, he basically said they're what? benching them 
insinuating that they're not going to start them regardless if they find a trade partner. It was just weird to me that it was like, we're looking to trade them, but it's like, he couldn't have just said trade. He's like, we're benching them first. I was like, that's a weird way of putting it. I've never heard in the past, like, like they weren't benching perks and trading them to cloud nine. So that was one of the things that was just, I don't even know what that would mean, but it was just interesting to me that he was like, we're benching and trading. And I was like, oh. What does that, what what does that, that mean? What that makes me think is that if, for whatever reason, they don't find a trade partner for any of those aforementioned players and coaches, that they're not going to play them. Like, they are gotcha. looking to replace all these players. And, you know, so if, regardless if of they whether they're traded yeah. or not, they ain't playing is the point. Okay. Yeah. I could see that. That makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. I was just curious. I would assume. All right. Anything else before we close out the show, JNT? No, I think that's it, Chief. Banger. Banger. Ram one as usual. First banger of a first start to the group stage uh, so far worlds has been great it always is i don't expect it yeah different. um just want to thank you guys for those that are new subs to the channel on youtube and for those that sub on twitch of course we appreciate you guys be sure to hit that sub button if you have not yet um i don't have anything to add enjoy the rest of group stage enjoy the rest of worlds guys uh we are sorry that these episodes are coming at you really quick but uh i guess more content is better than none so Hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, we'll see you guys. When are we supposed to see them, JNT? I can. Uh, I have... think it's Monday night because that's when the last day of the group stages end. We are currently planning for normal schedule time. Maybe not. It's it's supposed to be Monday. Episode sixty two is supposed to be on the eighteenth. That's the current plan for now. If things change, we'll uh, we'll be sure to let you guys know. But for now, we're going Monday. And so uh, I guess we'll see you guys on Monday. This has been episode sixty one of the Clown Fiesta podcast. Goodbye.